He said, it's more important for us to win souls for Jesus Christ than it is to win football games. This generation, coaches are the missionaries. He was a warrior. That's what he was. He inspired me. Uh, he, he gave me that role model of how to coach. I'm watching all these guys who were my heroes on the football playing field cry and talk about Jesus. It, it's amazing where God will step in to do his will. And he's using a game called football to change people's lives. There are thousands and thousands of guys all across the world, just like me, who are directly impacted by Ken Sparks. The light shines in the darkness and it's Christ in us, and he is what Ken would tell you made all the difference. Sparks, the Ken Sparks story, SalemNow.com. Now available for streaming, buy or rent. SalemNow.com. Hi, everyone. This is Adam Brown. I'm looking forward to seeing all of you guys at our 40th reunion in July. Welcome to the Big Blue Podcast for Farragut High School, all graduating classes. Let's get into today's interview. And today on the program, we have Jeff Joslin, who is a film producer in his own right. Went to Farragut back in the day, graduated in 1980. Jeff, I think the first question on everybody's mind is why the Ken Spark story in the first place? What what was the impetus to begin this? It, it all goes back to Farragut, you know, um, meeting Coach Spark. So that's kind of, that's why I always go back to. I have a very vivid memory of you and him interacting one day. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I remember there, I think we just finished a game. You know how we all used to have the powwow down there where we played uh, the battle ball down the lower gym, right when you walked in on the left. Yeah. We're all still in uniform, sweaty, heavy breathing. Um, I don't know who we played or if we won or not, but I remember this encounter of you and coach sparks. Um, so you were the quarterback. Um, I was more of a benchy warmery than a football player. My dad was living vicariously through my footballing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Code Sparks and you had an interaction in front of everybody. And I was a little shocked that he would do this in front of everybody. But he did. I think he wanted to make a point. And you were, um, he just, I think, hadn't been very much the coach very long. Um or maybe he had been a year. I don't know. Um, I know Claybo was before him, um, but after him was the coach that I spent more time with because um, he wasn't there very long. But uh, he was he was kind of heated at you, and you were doing something like maybe hot dogging or maybe mouthing off about the victory. Who knows? And he looked at you in the eye. And he pointed his finger and he kind of raised his voice. And I can't remember his exact words, but he was basically, you know, you loosen up, young man. You're not as hot doggy as you think you are. Ah, that's <laughs> good. We were just, oh my gosh, you know what's going to happen? We're going to lose our quarterback now. <laughs> that's good. good. I mean, that, story, stories like that, because huh? uh, we, we're putting together our feature film, you know, for 
you know, it only takes a spark. So we're, we're, those are great stories that need to be, you know, put into a, a, a film like that, the real stuff, you know, not stuff we make up, but that that's something that really happened. That's good. Um, I mean, and, and, you know, it's funny cause it, at Carson Newman too, um, the quarterback coach sat me down one time and said, almost kind of the same thing. He said, you know, you don't put, put yourself together, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bench you. <laughs> and, um, and it did, it did wake me up. Cause I mean, obviously, you know, when you do this kind of stuff, you, you know, you start thinking too much about yourself. And, um, so Coach Sparks was good, good yeah. about making people think um there was a another good story at carson newman this was after the national championship this was in 1984 we were i don't know where during our season but we had our leadership team in the conference room and and some guys were talking about opportunities to you know do some tryouts with the nfl that were going to be coming and they were asked some of them were kind of pissed off that they didn't get some opportunities and and so they you know they were arguing but we were arguing kind of between ourselves and coach sparks was was there and 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 i think they were asking coach sparks about that kind of stuff about tryouts and nfl and cfl and he just ram blasted all of us about what are you thinking about yourself and thinking about something that's, you know, that's never going to last for eternity. Um, and I mean, it, he just came after us and um, humbled every single one of us um, because, you know, he wanted you to focus on, you know, what's going on in your heart, not external stuff. But to know that they uh, have had exposure on a silly football field for things that are that are a whole lot more critical that's coming on down the road uh, is uh, is satisfying to me and because uh, that's our goal our goal is to win life not to win football games but to win life and i think i think i saw i hope that uh, we've laid the foundation for a whole bunch of winners to win life. And, uh, and so if we have, then hallelujah, thank you, Lord. Yeah. Because I always ask people, but I always ask people, how's your heart? Mm-hmm. And just go straight to, to the matter, <laughs> heart of the matter. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, he, his, his integrity showed through, I think, even amongst the staff. I think maybe perhaps when he got the call to Carson Newman from Farragut, I think he jumped at it. Um, he may have been getting some resistance from some of the staff because maybe he was too much of a quote Puritan or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, you know, in the documentary, we talk about the time when he was, he was fired from Carson Newman from the football team uh, or the staff, because he, you know, had that situation where he yelled at the head coach because they wanted to put a, player that was hurting and didn't want him you know because they needed to put points on, on the scoreboard 
And Coach Sparks says, you're not going to put this guy, you know, this guy's hurt and can't do this. And I care more about the kid than I do you know, about the scoreboard. And, and, and basically the, this was during a game. And so they stopped, he stopped listening to Coach Sparks, who I think was in, in the, um, the press box, the, the press box. And, um, and so after that, he was fired. So, um, so yeah, it's kind of, I think, like you said, he jumped on it. I, I'm going to be honest with you, Jeff. I haven't had a chance to see the entire film yet because here in Nashville, right now it's not showing anywhere. And I didn't get soon enough on the early bandwagon, but I want, I'll eventually, I'll own a copy of it one of these days when it's available. Well, we, one of the things we just, just because, just before I, you know, got on phone, phone with you or the Zoom here, we talked to a distributor. So actually one distributor well, platform should be up by the end of the day. And what so, you're saying, what you're saying, it'll be available online for purchase or rental or what have you, right? Yeah, yeah. One's one's right. I mean, the one that's going to be done today is going to be you can either buy it or rent it. So, um, yeah, they just sent me a message about that about about the price and <laughs> and um, well, that's awesome. Because so, a lot of people do want to see it, and it's hard to get to. You know, a lot of times the Christian film industry is kind of looked down by Big Brother Hollywood. You know, <laughs> um, well, you know, it's it's it, like they say they just haven't they don't have originality. <laughs> they keep doing remakes of stuff, you know, and, um, yeah. and and plus they don't understand how important you know faith based type of or inspirational type stories that people want to see. Um, some want to be entertained and that's, that's fine. You know, Batman's and Spider-Man's and stuff like that. But a lot of times you walk away and it's like, well, that was great. That was great entertainment. And all of a sudden it's done. You know, you need some other kind of form of entertainment and, um, you know, and, and, and I've been in the business since 2006 and from the beginning, my whole passion was, you know, just like, Carson Newman was athletics with a purpose. It's like entertainment with a purpose, you know, yeah. and, uh, or, or, and I, part of my kind of mission statement I had on my, uh, one of my companies was, uh, purpose driven entertainment. That's um, cool. <laughs> because it's like, you know, things are going to just go away they, that don't, don't matter about things. The only thing that really matters is going to be your relationship with Christ and, and, you know, eternity and that's it. And so what are you, what are you doing during this particular time that you have? Mm -hmm. I'll give you kind of a little word picture that I've always used is that if you think about a line, you know, stretching to the left all the way to eternity past and the one a line that goes to the right in the eternity future. And all of a sudden you put a little dot on that line about the size of a, say a P or a pinhead, you know, and that's your life, whatever it is, 20, 30, 60, 80, 90 years. And that little dot, you know, and so we, we put so much effort into that dot and we don't think about the line, the eternity. So, you know, if if and when people know their purpose and know their relationship with Christ and know eternity, 
then you know what matters. It, it's not the dot, it's the line. And are you living for the dot or are you living for the line? That's the key. That's the key there. <laughs> a lot of and dotted so, lives. And does and it so really it, matter? Does our dot really matter that much? Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't. It, it Well, it does. It does for, first of all, two reasons to know God who wants to know us in a relationship sense um, and bring him glory. And then when Christ left, go and make disciples. That was his passion. That should be our passion. That's the spark that, that lived within Ken Sparks life. It wasn't Ken Sparks. It was a relationship, a person called Jesus Christ. And, and, and if you really, know Christ and know his, his life and who he was and, and what it was important to him. It was people. And you got and, to see uh, this firsthand. How, yeah. How many it, years were you there with him? As a, as a well, he program? came in 1977. So I was there, you know, as a sophomore and, um, and that's when everything changed. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I was a third string quarterback. I mean, Stan Cotton was, you know, um, first string and and you know you had the bill bates crew oh, yeah. <laughs> um matteo and york and beeler and and uh, rusty reaney and, and that all senior kind of group that was there well and and and, and later but um in 1977 you know we had the bart barth etheridge and and all those you know tony livelies and guys like that a great bunch of guys um and we had a, a decent team you know i think it was just middle of the road six and five kind of thing when coach Clavo retired and then that next year you know went to the uh nurseryman's bowl i think and um at 10 for 10 and one went 10 and one and then the senior team came along it was it was an all senior team stan cotton bill bates greeny and um and then all of a sudden at fall camp you know stan cotton blows his knee out and so will garland who was a senior quarterback he was going to be stepping in um but coach dyer jim dyer whose son david dyer you know was was a farragut too he was recruiting from from ut and he was there at, at suwanee camp and um so everybody was wondering what's going to happen with this situation this team and um you know, Coach Dyer said, hey, why don't you put Jeff Joslin in first string and, and move Will Garland to um, the uh, slot? Um, Jeff had a little bit more athleticism kind of thing um, than Will did. And, um, and man, I was scared because I was just, you know, taking on the shoulders of put, putting the seniors on my shoulders and I've got to take, you know, I got to make sure I got to get this done. Um, but coach Sparks knew me and through that relationship that we had put together and bonded before that. And he did that with a lot of quarterbacks and, and every quarterback was there. We had a great relationship all for all of us and, and gave me strength. I mean, he really did. He really, um, was such a, uh, an incredible coach, um, 
when you saw him receive the accolades, was he kind of like, okay, let's get on with this and, and life is more important. Did you see that in him? Did he have that kind of thing? Did he share that with the team a lot? You know, you guys, you know, you did a good job. You won, but let's move on. There's some more important things in life we need to talk about here. Well, just like a lot of them say, enjoy it for the day, but point it the glory to God. We keep our priorities right, Lord first and family second, and then that old football come in there, then I think we probably do a whole lot better. Jeremy, when you're running, honey, you're looking like this and you start squirming and still looking this way. Probably be rested better and get a lot of other things done better and, and maybe even communicate to kids better. Great pattern, Calvin. Good job, JJ. Oh, that's great timing on the throw. He tricked you. He tricked you, didn't he, Winston? And so uh, that's one reason we like Piffle option, uh, option offense, is because we've got our built-in game plan a whole lot. When you start looking, you're slowing down because you start turning your body a little bit. Do you know you're doing that? Keep your feet coming. You got your hands on him good, but keep your feet coming. You something, man. That was a great pattern. Nice throw, too, wasn't it? Uh, that will that will work 10 straight weeks, and, uh, uh, and then all we got to do is make sure that we get our point of attack right. We go the right direction. And, uh, and I'm going to show you that in just a hey, second. Hello, baby. Hello, baby. Oh, come on. Wiggle for me now. Wiggle for me. Show me some of that. If you put God first, then God will probably throw some stuff to you, maybe some wins or whatever, you know, some, some accolades to you too. But if you don't put God first and then you go after all the glory, again, it's empty. Again, it's and, and there's a lot of glory in football. There's a lot of glory in sports to be grabbed, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you gotta, you know, look at me, look at me. And and you know, you compete and, and you 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 want people because you can lose your job very quickly, especially when you get into a, a multi-million dollar deal and you know, with football and even or NFLs and and you know professional, but even college. I mean, gosh, I when I was at UT, um, and I'll even, I don't know if you remember Jeff McMichael, he was a running back at quarterback or at uh, Webb, and uh, he and I both signed at the same time. <clears throat> and Jeffrey or Jeff was the starting linebacker as a freshman uh, at the fall of 1980. He was going to be the first string linebacker and a week before the, 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 um, season started. Um, and Jeffrey tells me this story because he kind of disappeared. I didn't know where he went. Um, the trainer came to him and said that, I don't know what's happened. Um, I don't know what's going on but you will never play at the university of Tennessee ever. We're going to put you on metal Scott medical scholarship and you're done playing football. And his career football career was over. And if you know, doc, if you know, Jeff Michael, he's a doctor and he just put his time into, you know, getting that scholarship that they still honored him. Um, but you know, I mean, just stuff like that. It can be gone. It be, it can be gone in you know in one play. I mean, I um, I was having when I was at Tennessee, and I had a great I was a, had a great freshman year, 
um, that was doing, uh, you know, there were 15 quarterbacks that came to UT at that time. It was Dale Dickey, Alan Cockrell, um, Dwight Singleton, Dirk, Dirk, Centri, uh, Dirk Gentry, Jack um, Cook. Um, and there was like three or four of us that stayed at quarterback. And I was, I was doing a great freshman season. I was having a junior varsity game against, um, I want to see Alabama or Georgia. I can't remember. The majors coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Error. And, uh, and so coach pace sent the manager down from the stadium to pull me out of that, that junior varsity game to dress for the next game to play and, and, or, or, or the next, um, Saturday to play. And the very next play, I broke my collarbone and I was done. My freshman year was done. And the next year majors came to me and said, Hey, you know, we could put you in for two or three minutes or we could red shoot you, red shirt you. And I said, well, I'll, I'll take a red shirt. And, uh, and, and I'm glad I did because by the end of that season, I was leaving, you know, to go play for coach sparks in 1982. So, you know, so athletes, you know, you're one play away from your career to be over. Um, um, and so, you know, you better, you better give everything you got. Um, and that's one of the things I think Coach Sparks was able to take guys that a lot of times were just average athletes and, and play over their heads. I mean, I had never seen some guys that just would give everything to play for Coach Sparks. And then I've been around some terrible coaches and they don't want to play for these coaches. They don't want to give their life to those coaches because they don't care about the players. All they want to care about is, is either money or winning and, and winning is, is empty. And people know that if you, if you don't care. I want you to give these guys that won the game. I didn't play these guys that won the game. Can we give them a hand, please? They say there was a great documentary, Show Me the Father, and it said it um, that was in the documentary or in the theaters in September. And it said that, you know, uh, you can either have a good father or a bad father. And if you don't have a bad father, then, you you know, God wants to be your father. Well, same thing with football. You can either have a great coach or you can have a terrible, you know, terrible coach. And and a coach can be that mentor, that yeah, mentor. Absolutely. Think of the Kurt Warner story. On, on exactly. Coach, really. That's right. That's Kurt, right. Kurt Warner, you know, Dick Vermeil. Life's not fair. We don't all get to choose the number of moments we get. We don't all get to choose the nature of our moments. And we don't all get to choose the substance of our moments. But what we all do get to choose is what we do with those moments. That moment with your kids, your spouse, with your friends, your teammates, your players. Both the moments to be impacted and the moments to impact. You would have asked me 30 years ago, which moments would best define me? I would have said the accomplishments, Super Bowls, MVPs, Hall of Fames, but I now know that not to be true. We have no idea today which moments will leave the most indelible impression. So we must take advantage of every single one. I burn out, not embarrassed to say it. Took a year off, turned out to be a decade and a half. When I did come back, they said I was uh, retread, has been too old. <laughs> Game that passed me by, all that stuff, all that same stuff that they're going to say about you.
What they didn't know was all that experience that I had in those years made me who I am. Made me ready for this moment. Gave me something others didn't have. And I see that in you, Kurt. Destiny. It belongs to yep, the underdogs. That's right. And, and guys like that, like Coach Gibbs and, and um, Tony Dungy, um, you know, in, in our documentary, we've got a clip of Tony Dungy and who said that he met Coach Sparks in the 90s when he was an assistant um, coach at the Steelers. And he was around Coach Sparks at a, at a FCA camp, coaches camp in, in Black Mountain. And he was with Coach Sparks for a week and said and, and talked with him and saw who he was. And he knew who he was and, and his relationship and his players and his winning um, um, background and all that. And, and basically, he says in, in the documentary, he says, you know, that if I could be a coach like Ken Sparks, then I will be a successful coach um, that you can care about your kids and you can win at the same time. Um, and, and he, I mean, look what Tony Dungy did. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Know? So I always noticed that about Tony's uh, persona, his, his mental attitude when the, when the camera would pan over to him to get reactions, he was always that stone face in the midst of uh, everyone's excited or upset. He's concentrating on his goals, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and even, you know, um, uh, Coach Fulmer was like that. I remember one time, and this was, this was, this was on TV, I was watching, and Peyton was, was playing at the time, and he had thrown an interception. Most coaches would just yell, yell, yell. I mean, the former coaches would just, I mean, yell, yell, out and just go after him, you know. Coach Fulmer pulled him aside, put his arm around him, you don't know what he said. I know what he said as a quarterback. What happened? Let's make an adjustment. Let's don't do this again. Yeah. And Coach Fulmer was a player's coach. I'm telling you. He was one of those guys that cared about his players, and that's why he was so successful. Our next guest is uh, one of the greatest uh, quarterbacks in college football and is a, a favorite to win the Heisman Trophy on Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, from the University of Tennessee, please welcome number 16, Peyton Manning. Peyton. When will you find out uh, that you have won or not won the Heisman Trophy? It's Saturday night, and uh, I'm not nervous at all. I'm kind of anxious to get it over with. I've been, yeah. People have been asking me about it for the past three years. I'm kind of tired of dealing with it, yeah. so looking forward to just getting it out of it, the way. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge thing for a college athlete. When, if it, if it uh, doesn't go your way, will that, will that break your heart? No, it really won't because I'm kind of a team guy. I enjoy playing college football to try to win games. Mm -hmm. And um, you can't go out and try to win individual awards. You can try to help your team win championships. Coaches, players wanted to play for him. Um, I mean, just like, you know, again, if you have a great coach, you want to just go to war with them, <laughs> you know. Um, and you can, you can when you've got that support, that underlying support makes yeah. a difference. Yep. Let's talk a little bit back in the day when you were at Farragut High School, because this podcast is the Big Blue uh, podcast. And if you don't mind, take a departure here. Tell me about Jeff Joslin, the student graduating. And what year was that that you graduated? 1980. 1980. Oh, so here we are, 1980. You're probably at Stokely Athletic Center like we all were back then. You throw up your hat. 
And what, what was going through your mind at that point? You mean when I was leaving? Yeah, you're graduating. Well, well, actually, because it was interesting because I was being recruited by almost every Southeastern Conference team and then several of the North, like Notre Dame and Air Force. And, and so I had you a know, lot of- You had a lot going on in your head. Yeah, there was, <laughs> there was a lot of decisions that I had to make. And um, Coach Sparks was leaving, but he wouldn't tell me where he was going. <laughs> <laughs> and he did not. He, 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 he did not want, because he told me, he came to me, he pulled me aside at some point. I don't remember what it was, but it was probably in the coaches. He says, look, I'm, I'm leaving and um, I'm not going to tell you where I'm going because I know you need to go where God needs you to be. God wants you to be a certain place. And if, if it's, you know, with me at some point, then it'll work out. Um, but I am not going to influence your decision. You need to make a decision. Um, he, he really wanted me to I th- even kind of push Vanderbilt, Coach McIntyre at the time. He was, a, he was kind of a similar kind of Ken Sparks kind of guy, but they were 0-1 or 0-11 or whatever. They're, they weren't winning too well, so I, I, I wasn't really interested in, in, in that, um, which was stupid. I mean, yeah, but um, – what kind of great education that would have been uh, like Barry Mauser, you know, he went to, you know, he signed with Vanderbilt. I think he went to Vanderbilt and he came back. Um, but anyway, um, in, in Barry Mauser and I, we did the school announcements every morning for a while. <laughs> the Vic and Barry show live from the first floor office. He was a hoot. I love Barry. He's funny. Um, so I was offered um, scholarship to Alabama. Um, Bear Bryant, called me a week before signing and said, Hey, uh, you know, well, I'm Bear Bryant, but I'd love to, you know, we'll be able to come to um, Alabama and get a full scholarship. Now this, this just makes it perfect. We're behind. They're all fired up. We've got class and I know we got it. First place, our defense has got to go out there and take the ball. Our defense hasn't been taking the ball. Then when we get the ball, we got to have 11 people that's just going to do their job, whatever it is. And try to score every time you get the football. If you know, you do that, and then I, I, I had told him that I had already made a decision. And it wasn't going to be Alabama. I almost went to Mississippi State because they ran the wish, wishbone, uh, Emory Ballard at that point. And, um, but my dad, we, we and I talked and, and said, he told me, he said, look, you need to kind of probably go to college where you may end up for the rest of your life. And so you got to think about stuff like that. You know, are you going to be in Mississippi State, you know, uh, Starkville, or you're going to be in, you know, Birmingham? You're going to have a life after that. You know, obviously he wanted me to go to Tennessee. <laughs> he was one of those guys that, hey, I've I've worked all my life putting you in 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 little league and football, and and I want to see you go to go to Tennessee, and. Um, so I ended up at that point, he was doing like the, the anti Ken Sparks philosophy of not uh, influence peddling here, but <laughs> well, you know, I'm obviously a dad. He was so proud of, right. of me and, and what's going on. And, 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 you know, he was such a, a big part of my life, um, encouraging me and, and gave me everything. I'm telling you, he was, my parents were incredible. You know, I had great, parents i really did right that's good um, a lot of people don't have good parenting yeah and and so he he 
you know, had me in church and at, at First Baptist Church and and uh, in Concord and grew up where I grew up there with a lot of guys and there and um, and and but Coach Sparks at Farragut introduced me to FCA. And I didn't know what FCA was. I, I don't even remember if if it was around until Coach Sparks, you know, brought it to his house and we'd have meetings at his house. And I think David Tucker was one of the coaches that helped as well. He took us all to uh, Black Mountain um, uh, to FCA camp in the summer. With And FCA, for the listeners who are not familiar with that acronym, FCA stands for? Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Right. And um, and then I remember that's where I first met Reggie White. You know, we were in uh, huddles together. And that's Minister of Defense. Yeah, that's how it was. And um um, that's how we started a great relationship at, at, through FCA. And um, hump move where he gets his right arm in and just pulls the guy in. Now watch the right arm there. You know, that'll happen a lot when you're blocking Reggie White. Reggie White is the best defensive lineman in the league. And then Coach Parks would, in 1978, took us over to uh, Brushy Mountain. And I think it was a scared straight program. And uh, Red Fuller, John Red Fuller, who was the meanest and the strongest inmate in the Tennessee prison system, he had become a Christian and he was sharing his his testimony. And so we would go over there and we took the whole football team um, and about 60 of us. And this guy told his story and just made a huge impact in my life. Um, and we'd go back a couple of times. We played softball and, and uh, he was uh, Red Fuller was a guy that gave the ladder to James Earl Ray to go over the wall. <laughs> so they had a relationship. Um, and so Coach Sparks. If he got the ladder, we have no idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was that made out of a PVC pipe or, the, or metal pipe. Oh, and so, cool. they, yeah. And so, in fact, I met, uh, there's a good story on that too, because I'm, I've, I've got the rights to the warden at Brushy Mountain and also uh, that story, Red Fuller, that I want to tell a feature film about that um you're almost like a you know shawshank redemption kind of feature film um i saw the warden a couple of years later when i got in the business and 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 found out he was you know they closed brushy mountain but he lived in warburg and i found him in, a, in the phone book and i knocked on the door and um and i said hey um um uh, Mr. Lane, um, I'm um, Jeff Jocelyn. Um, Coach Sparks uh, used to take us to the uh, to um, took us to Brushy Mountain. To and he, and he stopped me. He says, "You're the quarterback," because I remember you. You were you were Sparks' quarterback, and 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 we came in the door, and he remembered me um, from being all the way back from 1978. I couldn't believe it. Um, but anyway, um, but stuff like that, Coach Sparks would infuse stories and, and, and FCAs and, and, and stuff like that to make an impact in people's lives. He was, he cared more about, you know, your relationship with Christ, uh, during that time when I was there at Farragut. And then when that period of time, when I was leaving, you know, I didn't think about spiritual stuff i was recruited by carson newman but at that point who was carson newman <laughs> you know i mean really it just you know um 
I went up there and and, and took a, a visit and it, it's great college and blah blah blah. But um, I had I had you know big orange blood in my in my veins and and lived in a shack. Yeah. For yeah. the listener's sake, some people don't understand this, and I didn't back in the day. I wondered, why doesn't Carson Newman play Tennessee? It looks like they can beat the crap out of them. But explain to us <laughs> the, the divisions and all that. Why was there a separation? Well, there were two divisions in AIA at that point, um, which I don't I don't remember if there was a, a NCAA Division II at that point. I don't remember. Uh, there may have been, but but – NAIA basically uh, was a lower d- level. Uh, we did, um, at that point, we did have junior varsity games between Tennessee and, and Carson Newman. And there was one that, time. That was, that, maybe that's the confusion that I had. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, um, they would do stuff like that. Cause I remember Carson Newman's junior varsity beat the UT junior varsity. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and man, you know, I, I think Rick Wilkinson was there. Billy Eichholz was was on those teams, and um, at that point, I was being. Um, um, I don't think. Let's see. I don't think I could do junior varsity because I was. I can't. I can't remember. But I remember I was. I was at that game um, when they got, at Carson Newman when they got when they beat the UT junior varsity. So <laughs> wasn't very. wasn't a happy day. Um, in ball land. So talk to more about after graduation and then you decided to go with the college you went with. So your, your first few years with that team, um, you decided on UT and then you ended up at Carson Newman and that was long about the mid eighties at this point. Yeah. 1980. And then, you know, I had a, you know, I was excited to be a part of, you know, UT football. Um, great obviously history of football and 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 i had a i had a goal i had a dream to play at tennessee of course as a football player i grew up i wanted to be a professional football player and this was one of the steps i wanted to do and mm-hmm. and um and i had a great arm I, I i was one of the only quarterbacks that could really throw the ball to willie galt and, and anthony hancock and and those speedsters mike millers that were four twos four threes you know you'd have to have an arm to, to get it and coach sparks worked me out to get my arm so great even though we didn't throw very much because of the veer but um i had a great freshman year there and um and actually you know coach sparks at, at farragut we had off season we we would take ballet and and had ballet um, and I and, remember you guys getting rammed about that by some yeah, yeah. students, you know. Yeah, yeah. And martial arts, they took mar- they took a martial arts guy in there too, as well, in, in off season training. Well, at, at Tennessee, one of my classes I took was ballet because I knew how good it was for yeah. for me. Balance, and, um, yeah. and jump, you could jump. Oh my gosh, you know when you when you if you can, you know, puree or whatever you want to call. And once you jump and turn, you know, you can do a lot of stuff. They couldn't believe how, in fact, Billy Eichholz and I took the class together and they thought, <laughs> what about these guys? What about these football players? And, um, but I, I, you know, I loved my time at Tennessee. I kind of got consumed 
about the college life at that time. Um, what was your major? What were you studying on the side? I just business, you know, I, I didn't have any idea about what I would, you know, what I wanted to do is just, just took business, you know, um, and, and then you and, ended up in a career, it looks like modeling, doing commercials and then media. Yeah. Entertainment. That, yeah. I, yeah. It was interesting because, um, you know, after I got out of the, you know, the football, you know, cause I went to, after Carson Newman, I went to the Canadian football league for a couple of years and then it just, it was gone. And then I worked for FCA for two and a half years, worked on a staff, um, because I actually came to know Christ, even though I grew up in the church and was involved in FCA, my life, you know, I had two different, I had two different lives. I think a lot of people do. You grow up in a church and, you know, you, you think you've made decisions and then all of a sudden your life is out there, you know, almost like you're, you're a hypocrite and people, people knew that people knows, you know, Hey, this guy's saying he's a Christian, but he's doing this. And, and so when I was at, at, at UT, I came to know Christ through FCA and I changed my life. My life changed. And that was an evidence that I made, that I was a Christian because my life changed. What and happened? I knew. Was there, a, was there a signal event? Did you have a meeting um, with a, no. um, what, what, what happened? The, the moment that you realized this is what you want your life to be, what was going on there? Well, I, I just, I was involved uh, with FCA and my cousin, Alan Duncan, who was a kicker at that time. And he was, he had already gone, I think, to, um, to, to kind of the pro. Oh, yeah. Ranks. You know, he was, no, he was, I didn't know you guys are related. That's cool. Yeah. He, yeah, he yeah. Was forever. I mean, he was like, you know, yeah. and wasn't he bare? He was a barefoot punter. He was what? Was he a bit? He kicked with his, let's see, I'm, I'm confusing the Colquitt family with the Duncan family. So, yeah. Alan, Alan, did he kick with something on his shoe differently? No, that was, that was, um, uh, Townsend, Townsend was a barefoot kicker okay. at Tennessee. Now, Alan, Alan, was Alan could knocker. zoom it, man. He could, what, he didn't have a record of the biggest field goal yet. Oh yeah, I think his one of his he had po most points. I think at one point uh, as yeah. a kicker, you know, UT, and then the longest at that time before I think before Fouad came um, had some records. I think Fouad um, shattered a couple of them. Um, you know, Alan. So Alan was the president. Uh, FCA at UT. And so I was there, I think my freshman year and, um, and he was a senior and um, I believe, I think I, I'm not, I can't remember, but, but anyway, I came to know Christ at, at an FCA meeting at UT. And, and that's at that point, it, you know, my life, you know, uh, I gotta, you know, I gotta get either serious about this or, or go the other way because at Tennessee, or any college, you can get a, get consumed with the college life, and you can go down a path that can hard to come out. You can it's hard to come out of. Um, it can destroy you. And so, if you don't have a good strong faith or foundation, then um, and and my foundation wasn't you know it was it was football, <laughs> uh, really it really was. Um, and then changing that. Um, I knew that, that I wasn't growing here spiritually like I needed to be. And, 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 and it sure wasn't coming from the football team other than did, did FCA. You do anything, 
Did you do anything drastic there, Jeff, when you made that decision? Did you do anything drastic? Like, like I burn all my 80s vinyl uh, New Wave records. I think Doug burnt a lot of his magic strips. <laughs> Did you do anything wacko like that? <laughs> no, no, I just, I, I just, I just was tired of, of, of being fake. You know, because you can put a great mask out there and, and, but everybody knows that you're, that you're fake. If anybody that's around people, you know, and you're going to church and this and that, and all of a sudden you're doing something Friday night or Saturday night. And, and you know, and so, you know, what was coming out of my mouth? I mean, I wasn't a, a, a cusser, but you know, my, my, even my language changed and my thought process changed and, and what I wanted to do. Um, and it, it definitely wasn't going to be, you know, being at Tennessee. Um, it was, it, I was going to be consumed. I was one of those guys that I needed to be um, fed uh, the, the word. Um, and it wasn't coming. It wasn't coming to me. And I knew that, that I knew what Coach Sparks was and who he is and, and what he would do in my life. Cause, cause I was, I was destroyed as an athlete confidence wise at, at, at UT, it was, it was not good. Uh, I can just tell you that because when you have a, when you have a whole football team, that's going to have a strike because they don't want to come out to practice anymore um, because they're getting, you know, the, the abusive that you're coming from, from a coach and, and the whole team strikes, that tells you something, Pretty bad. something's yeah. going, something's going on. And so um, you, you didn't want to be two faced anymore. You wanted to live and walk the talk, talk the talk. That's and walk right. the walk. Right. Like I, I think those sparks always said, you know, make sure the tongue of your tongue and your mouth is going in the same direction as, you know, your feet <laughs> kind and, of thing. Now, now let's visit just a little bit back earlier in the interview. You said that he didn't want to influence you to do anything. He wanted it to be a decision between you and God, not knowing at that time, that you probably weren't in a direction to hear that way. But now you've gone through life, you've gone through some bitter moments and it's circling back around. And his investment, if we want to look at this as a financial transaction, is paying off in that you made the decision, but now you, you're, you're from a base, you're from a heart, you know your heart and you're going to him to help you know, be, be one together for the team, but also one with Christ, right? Yep, that's right. And, and what's interesting, how... I got there was because of Barry Mauser. Hmm. Barry was transferring from Vanderbilt and he wanted to talk to coach Sparks. And um, he called me and says, Hey, would you go to coach Sparks house in, in Jefferson city? I'm going to talk to him about, you know, transferring from Vanderbilt to Carson Newman. I said, sure. Yeah. <clears throat> I ain't even thought about it. I did not even think about any of this, about me leaving. I just, I just wasn't happy. Okay. I didn't know what to do. Um, so we sit down with Coach Sparks and they, they, they put the deal together. And, you know, Barry Mauser was making sure that he's doing what he needs to do. And, and sure enough, he decides that he wants to leave Vanderbilt to go to, to, um, to Carson Emman. And Coach Sparks says, yeah, we'll make sure, it make sure it's going to happen. We'll make sure it happens. And I said, I looked at him and said, what about me? <laughs> and um, I said, I want to go. And he goes, uh, we'll make sure it, we'll, we, can, we can make it happen. <laughs> and now what's interesting, all right, if you know Barry Mauser's dad and anybody knows my dad, 
Okay. Those guys were, were partners. Okay. With football and Farragut loved coach Sparks because they helped him with that booster club and all this stuff. So, so we get our parents together to go talk to um, coach Sparks, my parents, his parents, Alan Duncan and his wife and coach Sparks wife was there at coach Sparks house. So uh, coach Sparks wife was a singer and, um, and it was kind of heated. It was, it was a lot of, a lot of friction because we're, we're talking about leaving the university of Tennessee and Vanderbilt full scholarships leaving to go to Carson Newman to maybe get some money <laughs> or whatever. How are you going to do that at a, at, a, at a school, private school like that? So all of a sudden, um, Coach Sparks' wife, uh, Gail, um, her, her nickname was Butch. Um, she goes to this little cassette tape thing and, and says, I, I, you know, I, I think we've, I've got a song that I want to send, you know, sing to you guys. And uh, she starts this little cassette thing and says, are you tired of chasing pretty rainbows? <laughs> was the song. And, and then she goes on. Was that Dolly Parton? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I have to look that up, but, yeah. but it was, that's going to be in the film. I know that when we do it. Um, but, um, but all of a sudden in the middle of that song, Barry Mauser's dad stands up, says, I know what's going on here. You guys are trying to get our guys to transfer out of a, full scholarship for Vanderbilt and UT, it's not going to happen. And they storm out the house. My parents, his parents, Alan Duncan is still there. And, and, and he tells a great story because he remembers it vividly what happened. Um, but then everything kind of calmed down and, um, you know, and, and it happened, you know, we obviously left. But my, my parent, my, I mean, my mom was like, she knew, she knew that I was destroyed as an athlete and confidence wise. I says, you need to just go where you need to go, you know, um, where you can be happy. And, and my dad was like, he was, he was upset, um, that I was leaving. And when I, especially when I was talking with coach majors, cause it was after the, um, um, the, um, garden state bowl ga- game with Wisconsin, 1981, <clears throat> um, because they had tried, they had tried, he wanted me to move to defensive back. I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to move positions. I mean, I'm a quarterback. I'm not, a, I'm not a, I'm not a Bill Bates. I'm not a kind of guy. I'm a, I'm a quarter, I'm a quarterback. And, um, um, and so I, I talked to coach Fulmer. I talked to coach Harrison and coach Fulmer says, look, I know what's going on. You know, you need to do what you need to do. <laughs> he didn't try to, he said, he goes, me, he goes, I, I, I'm supposed to make you stay, but you need to do what you need to do. You need to be happy too. And um, so you um, had to be released from the Tennessee program officially before you could go anywhere else. And he was kind yeah, of right between the lines there. Yeah. And then I had to talk to coach majors. I called him. This was during Christmas and uh, I told him what was going on. He said, okay, well, cause I told him, I said, I, I need to go to some place where I can grow spiritually. And here's what he said. I said, well, <clears throat> I understand uh, I'm not the most um, nicest guy that you've ever met, but um, I'll take care of the newspaper <clears throat> stuff, and um, but just don't say anything about the spiritual stuff in the papers. 
And I said, oh, I said, well, <laughs> I said, well, I'll, I'll do what I need to do. So immediately I called Red Bales, which was Leanne Bales' father, who was a part of the sports guy who covered a lot of stuff at UT. I, and I gave him the exclusive because I knew what was about to happen, how it was going to be played in, in the papers if I didn't say something about it and you can still read the paper. I've, I've still got it. Cause we use it in the, you know, and I said, I need to go someplace to, to where I needed to be fed spiritually. And, um, and so you know, he didn't like Johnny it. majors. He shouldn't have been offended with that at all. And he knows he's not a is, you know, Tennessee is a, it's a secular, you don't have to be worried about that. And, and everybody knows Carson Newman is a foundational Christian college. So there shouldn't have been any bad blood with him. Well, this is the oh, there was some, there was some blood because, so many people had been transferred from who left Tennessee um, um, <laughs> had gone to Carson Newman. And was, that, it was, was that your it, fault, Jeff? Was that your fault? It, <laughs> no, no, because Bo actually Bobby Stanton, who was a, was a punter before I was even there, he left to go to Carson Newman. All of a sudden Carlton Gunn, who was a starter at, 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 at UT, he had left Dwight Wilson, who was a starter offensive line. He had left, um, in fact, um, when I had gone to Carson Newman, Coach Dyer said, look, Dwight Wilson is, is working at uh, Wendy's in Farragut. Why don't you go get him? We're putting the band back together. We're on a mission from God. And I did. I went to Dwight Wilson, and I said, hey, come up to Carson Newman, and we'll, get, we'll put this thing together. And sure enough, he was a starter for two national championships <laughs> and was a main major. And so the joke, the joke that was <laughs> at Tennessee was that every night there was a van, Carson Newman van pulling up guys and taking them to Carson Newman. And, and in fact, there was a, a coaches meeting at, 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 um, at, at Tennessee. And one of the coaches told me about this, um, that they had a had a, a coaches meeting because there were so many people leaving Tennessee and going to Carson Newman, and and Coach Majors just yelled at the guys and says, "Look, if you guys or anybody else wants to leave right now, you can leave now. There's a van out there now, and we'll take you to Carson Newman." <laughs> and because um, um, there was there was a lot of friction because of that, and and you know. And people knew why they were leaving. So, I mean, it was, there was a lot of stuff going on in his life and, you know, you can't fault that. I mean, he was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of pressure going on and, and just couldn't get it done. But, you know, all and of a sudden. Meanwhile, in, in Jefferson City, here's, here's Coach Ken Sparks sparkling with all this incoming talent. And what is yeah. he going to do with it all? Well, also won a few national championships. Well, there was, there was, I mean, there was even thoughts Reggie White was going to leave to go to Carson Newman. Now I have, a Reggie, was, I have a Reggie White story real quickly. I ended up at a church in Maryville and, you know, Reggie lived there. He had a big giant mansion house and he built a, a facility for unwed mothers who were being abused. And he was a genuinely great person. And he was like an associate pastor there of that church. And I got to hang out and watch him and, and see him from the other side, the other side of the, the 50 yard line or hundred yard line, whatever. Um, and then it was sad to find out that he didn't wear his breathing machine one night and Sarah, his wife, found him unconscious 
and that was the end of his uh, this current life. But he had such a great Reagan impersonation. And here's a six foot nine, three hundred and twenty yeah. pound Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was he was so funny. I think he would do he would do Bill Cosby and um, oh, yeah. he would do um, he would do a bunch so much. He was funny. He would do Hel he would do Elvis. I mean, <laughs> gosh, um, he was. He was a great, great guy, great man. So. Yeah, yeah. But back on the story, tell us what happened then with all this exodus, you know, coming out, <laughs> going to, to Ken's place and his program. What did he think? What was his reaction to all that? It was funny because my spring, my first spring there, 1982 and, and spring um, in the in the spring game, I threw three interceptions. Mm -hmm. and, and he pulled me aside and said, look everything's okay. You know, and, and actually he told me later, he goes, I had never seen an athlete so distraught and, and, and didn't have much confidence left as an athlete. Um, and it was interesting because going into the 1982, I wasn't, I wasn't a starter. Jay Andrews was first. I think he ended up, I played some, after him, you know, during the games, during the games and stuff like that. But he was a starter and he was going to be coming back in 1983 as, as a starter. Um, well, he, um, I think he blew his shoulder out or something. Um, and we went to the playoffs and got beat in Hillsdale and it just, um, vibe that was going on. People wanted more about winning a national championship than they did about, you know, changing people's lives. And, and I saw it. Um, it just wasn't there. And then, then we came over the next year to 1983. I was second. Again, I was second string. And in, in fall camp, this guy blew his knee out. And um, Jay Andrews, or shoulder or something, went out. And uh, I was put into first string again. Um, and you, you wonder why things happen like that. But it happened. Um, and, and, and so, you know, we end up the first 1983, we lose the first two games and we lose the last game and, and, and we're not even going to go to the playoffs unless this other team loses and they were going to win. And, and, and it's interesting. They were going to, they were going to, um, there was going to be a field goal last second to, to, to win this game for this team to win the game chip shot. And, um, and they were going to go to the playoffs and we weren't. And, and, and I remember listening to it on the radio because I was in Farragut that time listening to it on the radio. And there was, there was a big wind story, a storm that was going on during this game, a lot of wind. And so when the guy kicked it, it was going to be a chip shot. The wind blew it and he, and they missed, missed the game. And we got into, we got into the playoffs and it's the first team in, in the history of national or NAIA to have three losses and there's never been a football team at NAIA history. That's won the national championship with three losses. <laughs> so there was a lot of stuff that was going on. Um, that's really cool. Well, and that says a lot about life in general. Don't let those losses get you down. You can still be a champion. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because, because our season that year was, was be faithful, stay faithful. I mean, you lose your first two games uh oh, what's going on? You know, and we have have a great rest of the season, and then lose your last game. We're gonna have to be faithful. And during that time, Coach Sparks' marriage had was destroyed. His wife 
had an affair and she left. So coach Sparks was on his own with two kids, Chad and Chanda. And so you think that he was also telling us to be faithful. He had to be faithful too. He had to, he had to be faithful to his kids because he made, he played a part in his marriage dissolving because he didn't, he spent too much time with the football team and the players. And, and because there's two, two sides of the story here, <laughs> you know, always and, yeah. you know, Balance. because if, you know, if somebody's having an affair, somebody's not having any kind of attention and they're going to go get it someplace else. And right. that's, right. you know, and so it, it, it happened and his, his marriage crumbled right before the national, you know, before that season. So it was a struggle and it hurt him. It hurt him. And um, so, you know, you come back next year and end up winning the national championship again. And, um, you know, it was a, a story, <laughs> you know, great story, great stories, you know, um, telling kind of thing to, you know, at Carson Newman and being around coach Sparks and, then, you know, for him to go on and win three other national championships, 80, 86, 88, 89, and five of them. Then they went to NCAA Division II A. Um, but the ends up being the fifth all-time winning as coach with 338 wins behind Bobby Bowden and above, you know, Bear Bryant. And um, the winning as coach ever in NCAA Division II. Um, but he's he cared more about his players than he did about winning. And it just winning just happened. I mean, it, it obviously, he's a great coach and he had a great team and he had great players, but the focus was not on, you know, winning. It was, it was secondary. Um, the relationship with his players, I mean, thousands of guys came to know Christ every year or, or over those, over those years um, through chapels and, and events like that that he was continuing going on, you know, having going on, you know, during the football season. And um, so. You know, the overall message still seems to be balance and you're trying to influence people's lives. You always have to look at your home base. How is it holding? And you don't want to get in that, um, you know, position where one is crumbling and the other one is surviving. It should be a balance, but how, how difficult would it have been for him to keep that balance? You know? Yeah, it, it, it's, he, he, it, it, he woke up that, that he had, you know, a family that was destroyed because, and he, he had great intentions. Mm -hmm. He was doing it for the Lord, <laughs> but there's gotta be, like you said, there's gotta be a balance in people's lives. Did he get the know, message because, too late? Do you think, did he get the message just too late? Um, you know, it started, and I can tell you this, it started in high school. He was all the time with the players, all the time. Something got in, in, into her that she was lonely, which is fine, but um, it, just, it just happened in his life. And then she started talking to somebody else because her husband wasn't there. <laughs> so, you know, you know, and, and you don't want to be 
you know, some woman talking to some man about your problems, you know, and vice versa. A guy doesn't want to be talking to the woman that's married, you know, about your problems. And so um, it happened early and it just started getting worse. And when you go to college and, and you're a coach and you got to recruit and, and you're the athletic director and this and that, it just got worse. You know, you don't see your family. You know, you come home at seven, eight o'clock at night and the kid, and your kids are in bed and, and you don't have the energy to talk to each other and, and, and you don't put an effort, you know, like you do in, in your job, um, then it's, it's going to crumble. It's going to fall. Earlier, you mentioned that you had like a, a two lives you felt like you were leading at one point. Maybe this was something she started way beyond with two lives that never seemed to separate. And just now, thinking, what's the better life? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, there's always, always green on the other side, you know, there's um, green, green grass on the other side of that fence, but it's not, it's there's just as much manure in that as it was in the other field. <laughs> so um, uh, it just looks better. Um, and, and somebody's not going to judge you, you know, when you start messing around with stuff like that. And, 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 you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's a, slippery slope um and and they all they both fell into it and and then they and they tried to put it together it was it was too late you know when 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 she was involved and and she decided to you know and she says this in the documentary she she thought about having suicide you know just going away and just you know because she was so um destroyed about what she had done obviously and um and satan like she said is the finest hour when they can split families you know because god ordains the church ordains the family and ordains the government and when you when satan can come in there and destroy families you've destroyed an important um part of what god created you know between family, husband is, family is very important it, it holds together in times of difficulty um you have a couple of children right i have three boys three boys tell us about that tell us about your boys now one of them well, i know is in the in the industry the film industry jeffrey jr jeffrey the second the second <laughs> not junior never, here hey 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 I never, <laughs> I never wanted to do a junior <laughs> let me tell you something junior if you ever embarrass me like that again, I'm going to get an axe. It was always the second. Um, um, so tell us about so, the Yeah, they, um, they were all players, football players. Well, actually, they were athletes. We got them. And actually, we got them in, we got them in music, too, at the beginning. Um, we got them playing soccer and baseball. And I never mentioned anything about football. My, me and my ex-wife, we, we never really talked about if they want to play football, then they would come to me and ask. Um, I don't want kind of that kind of pressure of, of pushing them into something. So it was about seventh or eighth, seventh grade, I think, that they came to me and said, hey, we want to play football. And so the oldest one was the quarterback, and the middle one was the receiver, and the youngest one um, is actually is Jeffrey, Justice, and Javen. And um, Javen was kind of a, a utility player, um, could do everything, really. All of them were great athletes because – I would push them, you know, ath athletics ways. Do you regret ways. any of that now pushing, like you say, or would it help? Did it help them? 
as far as me pushing them yeah well just training because i that's that's the thing i would do i would train them very well because my my middle son was a 4340 wow uh, yeah i was a 4540 my oldest son was a 45 and he was 63 a perfect size for quarterback. Um, the middle one had the speed and the youngest one was, was, I think he was six, one or six. No, he was six, three as well. So the middle one was six, one, he was more like me and had the speed. And, and um, and then uh, obviously it sounds they, like the, sounds like the man, the Manning dynasty all over again. <laughs> it was, it was great. They loved it. They loved sports. And then Jeffrey actually um, got a full scholarship. Cause I, I, I told him, I said, look, I said baseball is great and all these other sports are great but if you really want to get a you know you're gonna to have to help us you know because we don't have the money because we were working at that time fca didn't make a lot of money and um so you're gonna to have to you're gonna to have to get a scholarship and the best way to get a scholarship is to play football you know so push that um and so jeffrey got a full scholarship to charleston southern um he was there for a semester and said i'm done I don't enjoy football. Um, I, I, I obviously selfishly, I wanted my sons to go play for coach Sparks <laughs> and they didn't want that pressure. Yeah. They didn't want that, you know, Oh gosh, you got a son that, <laughs> that did, you know, two national championships and CFL. Yeah. I don't want that kind of pressure. And that's fine. I didn't, I didn't really put, I wanted to, you know, be, they, I would have loved to have them been under coach sparks they would have loved it and they they know that too but they made their own decision it was like hey do it and and you do what you need to do and go just like i did no pressure and so he he was at charleston southern because all of them had music in their history in their life and their in their um in their blood they had music uh that come from was, you or, or your ex-wife no uh, no no really i mean i played uh, i was in a band with ricky turner and Todd Overton, uh, Overton and Mike Beckham. <laughs> so I, I had a, you know, I had some little music history. What did you play? It, what instrument in the band? I was a bass, played bass, okay. yeah, self, self-taught. <laughs> and, yeah. um, um, but, but, but Jeffrey, we all started, all of them started with a piano. So Jeffrey went the furthest, like four years of that. Then he started, you know, um, doing guitar and, and, he, and basically he can do everything now. And so can Justice and Javen kind of faded away, um, got away from music, but focused more on sports. And um, um, so Jeffrey, after a semester at Charleston Southern, said, I'm done. I, I don't like, I don't enjoy football. I want to go, I want to go do a, a, a studio engineering degree and with music at, at um, Middle Tennessee State. They've got one of the best ones there. So that's where he yeah, transferred. I think it's the best program in the nation. I'm right here near it personally living oh. nearby i heard a lot about it and it's not well i mean it's music city's just up the street you know you better get your stuff right yeah yeah so, so that's where he went and then justice he um he was being recruited i mean he i'm serious he was a he was a 429 4340 he could he could play any place uh, no, nobody could touch him um at that level at that time was that's that's like willie galt kind of stuff you know um, and so I, they, I, he ended up going to Wofford who hardly threw, it was worse than Carson Newman because they had the wing tee and he would, 
it was interesting because at Wofford, he was the fastest guy in the league. And um, I remember playing against him, playing against South, South Carolina, and uh, he got behind a couple of the guys, and he was like a one-play wonder. They would put Justice in for one play and do one post, and, and he'd catch it, and he'd be down, and then he'd be done. They wouldn't even let him um, uh, run the the punts back. I mean, here's a guy's the fastest fastest lead fastest guy and probably in the sec as well and he never would put him in there and then he he caught seven touchdowns the entire career at wofford and then he he hurt his hamstring and couldn't go to the nfl nfl combine or they couldn't get in the nfl or, or the cfl so he went to to um, german football league and they won the national they won actually the national championship or super bowl over there and they were 15 and 0 and he was uh, the he was catching football or uh, tds three times uh uh, every every game two to three tds every game um nobody could touch him the german football team german football it was actually it was european nfl had disbanded and so they had like countries like German football league, okay. Austrian football league. Yeah, I remember so, that. I remember that. And then they had here locally the the Memphis team, um, yep. the XFL, briefly. Yeah. Yep. Memphis Maniacs, and the National Alliance on Mental Illness jumped all over that and squelched that name quickly. <laughs> yeah. Right, so, so the European football league. So he was like a superstar over there. Oh yeah, yeah. He was um, nobody could touch him. And because at that time, see, in 2006, I'd gone. In 2006, I'd I'd gone through a divorce. I lost uh, my, my job. I got laid off, and so that's when I got into the entertainment industry mm-hmm. in 2006. So my, my I found out and, and started. I, I you know I enjoyed both sides of the camera. I wanted to direct and produce, but I also was acting and doing all that stuff. And um, I saw the 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 um, saw the movie Facing the Giants, and it's a fictional, you know. A story about a Christian coach and a Christian school. He's not winning. His priorities weren't right, and gets his priorities right and start winning. I said, "Well, that's Ken Sparks," you know. And so that's back then. That's what put the seed in my heart that I want to tell his story. So fast forward, obviously. So I also get into the entertainment industry and, and, and became an agent for like three years. So I was in New York from 2006 to 2012. I was working as an agent. And so my son, when he leaves German football league, he couldn't get back into the, he couldn't get in the NFL again. He says, what am I going to do? So Jeffrey and justice say, Hey, we're going to go to LA. They want to be surfers. <laughs> they want to, they, they want to be West coast guys. And so they moved there in 2012. Well, they, I wasn't married and they, and, and he said, Hey, dad, why don't you come to California? I said, Hey, I'll do it. So I'd open so up you, an you office. You loaded up the truck and you head to Beverly. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and so I moved there. Um, I got them into the industry. And Ooh. then, um, you know, they started booking some things and justice ended up being picked up, picked up by a manager who, who um, managed uh, Channing Tatum. And mm-hmm. so justice is now a, a Ford model. He's like a, I mean, we're talking major, major campaigns. Like he's the Tommy Bahama guy. He's the Nautica guy. He's the 007 clothing guy. I mean, major campaigns, you know, a a career that I'd love to have like him. Um, But he's, he's doing it. 
And, um, and so they started doing music out there and doing film festival or uh, music festivals and, and playing. So they would play together in their in their bands and stuff because Justice kind of does the bass and he does the drums. He does. He, he created a studio in his home um, recording, you know, albums and, and vinyl albums, actually. Um, they, that kind of rebirthed the, the industry out there. It has a pressing, has a pressing machine. Uh, no, they have a company that, that does it, but they would they would put it on they would put it on um, analog on those tapes, and then they'd put it out in um, on vinyl. And it's kind of a different sound, you know, the analog sound now. What the name of his solo artist? What's the name of his band? Um, the Things. Hey, we're the Things, and this is Jam in the Van. This next song it's called Answer the Question.
He's um, they they actually have uh, actually I'm going out May 10th through the 18th. He's doing a second year of a music festival, about 200 people that they do out in the desert. You know, um, is it the Burning Man type thing? No, it's 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 uh, like what's uh, Woodstock? Okay, <laughs> yeah. Woodstock um, West. <laughs> yeah, it's um, because Jeffrey's going out there and he's going to be doing his his you know music out there but he wants me to film it kind of like documentary style and um so i'm gonna be out there for a week and um because it's just two days and then we're gonna you know come back but but then the youngest one javen he was he was living out there at the time and he started doing he started producing stuff and 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 shooting videos and stuff like that where javen took off and he is he actually lives in bali and he does production stuff and so anyway i got remarried and then, um, mm-hmm. um, with an actress, did you learn from your mistakes? Yeah, I did. I really <laughs> did. I kind of opened, opened up a little too much, you know, but, mm-hmm. but the, the fat, the marriage that, that I had, the, the, the wife and, uh, had a lot of dysfunction in, in their family. And, um, um, she had her own you know, daughter and father that was alcoholic and a lot of dysfunction, a lot of stress and anxiety. Right. And, and to make money in, in California is very hard. Um, if you don't make a hundred grand a year, you, you're, you're struggling, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and so we ended up, um, at that time I was still doing, um, acting and, and so was she, but, um, I ended up working for Nielsen ratings, um, oh, to try yeah. to make money. And so they had a, a position open up in Orlando and her daughter wanted to, to work for, disney so we said let's just transfer so we transferred to orlando and so um she couldn't get into disney because she had these tattoos all the way up to her almost like sleeves but but 
not slaves, but you, you, in working for Disney, you, you couldn't have tattoos within two inches of your of your hand or, or you have what to wear sleeves. What about makeup or CGI? What's a big deal? Well, well, as far as working for Disney World, um, okay. you know, so but she started working at. Um, um, oh, so I can't remember. Not not one of the, the uh, parks. There was a a um, place where the stores are down there. I can't remember the, that area. She started working over there at some of the stores. So my, my ex-wife and her, and we both put in for, for Disney, because if you're going to work at Disney, you're going to, you want to make, you want to, you want to work as a server because you can make, you know, you can make part-time as, as some of these resorts and some of these uh, parks, you can make, Forty to fifty thousand dollars a year part time, uh, and yeah, if you can, uh, oh yeah, if you if you are full time and you get some of these resort places and 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 mm -hmm. character restaurants, you can make six figures and you'll stay there for thirty years like people do. And so we both started working. I worked at Magic Kingdom, the Jungle Cruise restaurant. She was at Hollywood Studios at Sci Fi. I transferred over to Hollywood Studios, and so we would work on the weekends, basically Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We would do. 30, 30 hour, you know, 30 uh, or 30 hours, uh, three doubles. And, um, and then during the middle of the week, I, I would act and, and do commercials and stuff like that. Well, long story, but, but basically, um, her mother died in January or June of, um, Sorry to hear no, actually Mar March of, uh, 2018, so we had thought, well, let's just, just get out of Orlando and let's just take the family and go, because she was from Canada. Let's just move there and we'll do the fil film industry there. We'll get some work there. And because it's just like, you know, New York or California, you, know, you can get a lot of, you, you can do a lot of film work stuff there and, and acting and, and stuff. Mm -hmm. So she moved up in June and, um, and in the process, when she was up there, she was going to take care of, you know, the house because the house was paid for and all this stuff. And we were going to move the dad and the, the daughter and her boyfriend and four dogs. And we were going to move all that to Canada. And, and during this process, she ended up having an affair. And so we were going to, we were going to reconcile, but she did it again. So I said, we're done, you know? And uh, so we put the house up for sale. I said, when we're done, I'm going to divorce you and, and, and you go and do what you need to do and go back with your, your, your ex and put your family together if you want to, and I'm going to get out of here. And, but during this process, um, there was a lot of still pressure. We were all about to lose our house and cars and cause we lost half our income and um, cause she took off and, um, and then she was, she was turning on me. I mean, it was bad. And, and, and through the stress and anxiety of all this, I ended up having a stroke and I lost my speech and memory on okay. October 30th. Yeah. Yeah, October thirtieth, two thousand eighteen. I lost my speech and memory, and so as an actor, hello, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to lose that. <laughs> <clears throat> well, if you're thinking about right now, think Bruce Willis right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I was going through the same thing, and then all of a sudden, a couple of months later, Luke Perry dies of a massive stroke. If you remember that, remember and that. then and then there was a director from um, Fast and Furious. He was in his fifties. And had a massive stroke and died during probably within six months, just like that. So and, all this um, is going through your mind with your stroke, you know. Yep. 
Yep. So what, and, my goodness, you're a walking miracle right there. We got to talk about this, Jeff. I know we've gone for a while, but let's keep going. What? How did you get back? It was because of the entertainment industry and obviously God's grace. I'm telling God's grace, first of all, because it ended up being, I'm telling you, it was a blessing. Somebody just like Romans 8, 28, all things, you know, um, yeah. works out together for good. That's yeah. right. Okay. You don't know what's going on, why it's happening, but what, what was interesting, I would take my scripts to my therapist, my speech therapist, I would take my scripts. And we would do those to try to get my, my brain working because when you have a stroke on the speech and memory side, what happens is you, you, you can't get the words out. And even now, sometimes I can't get the words out. Um, and, and improv's a little tough sometimes, what, which I'm doing right now. I'm improving, you know? Um, and, and, and so you got to really slow down and think about what's, what your words are. And then I couldn't understand certain words and certain phrases and stuff like that so i actually walked away from films and television roles um but what was interesting two weeks later after i'd got out of the hospital i booked two teleprompter jobs and because i could i could read off of like a computer screen and read the words i may not understand it but i could i could put those dialogues out uh, and, and make it convincing um, but the problem was when I would show when I showed up on set for both of those things, there was no teleprompter. <laughs> so they had to feed me the lines, just like you're talking Bruce Willis now. They had to feed lines. They were doing the same thing for me. How and does that, that work when they, when they feed it? Is it an audio device in your ear? Yeah, it's like a ear, it's called an ear prompter. Okay, it's like a it's like a you know one of those things you put in there. Um, like a president and, might make a speech with one of these things, right? That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and so what's interesting was with, with this stroke and I still have residual, there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of uh, ups and downs, emotions and depression. And so, especially all the stuff that, cause during that time we hadn't, you know, we we're still married cause we didn't get separated, divorced until 2019. So all this stuff was still going on, but I ended up, what was interesting I booked 30 jobs after leaving that hospital in 2019. I booked 30 commercials. It was, it was a blessing. Um, because, because the time you spent recuperating, these stacked up, and then you proved, hey, I can still do my job. Well, it was, it was, that's the thing about <clears throat> with a stroke. Um, like last month in March, it was uh, brain injury awareness. Um, uh, trauma, TBI, a traumatic brain injury. Um, and so in fact, April, um, is, is stress awareness. If you know that, um, right now. Um, so, but here's the other thing too, that, that they found out during the MRI when I was in the hospital that I had a PFO, which is a patent formal avail. Mm -hmm. It's a millimeter hole in the wall of your heart. And one out of four people have it. It's a birth defect. And so when you when you have an atrial fib, um, because everybody has clots and the heart is what filters those clots. Well, if you have a hole in the millimeter wall of your heart and you have an atrial fib, it, it pushed through a clot. And so that's how I, that, and, and actually 40% of the people that have a PFO will have a stroke. And I was just blessed that it didn't happen on the physicality side, you know, where it'd mess up my my physical it worked on my speech and memory which was which is fine but 
um, it's a serious, serious deal. And then, so that's why, you know, when I talk, when I moved here in, 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 in 2019 and seven, I, uh, July, 2019, I, I said, I'm getting out of Orlando. I'm going to go home. I'm going to be around my mom who my dad had died three months after coach Sparks had died 2017 in May, 2017. Um, I said, I'm going to stay here. Um, I'm going to actually, I was going to move to California to be around Jeffrey and my new granddaughter. And just grandpa. Yeah, I got two granddaughters actually. Oh wow! Um, and so they were in in LA, and so I was gonna I was gonna move there, but they said no, nah, we're gonna we're gonna probably get out of Nashville at some point, or 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 California, and probably move to Nashville at some point. And I said okay, well I'll just stay in Knoxville. Well, during the process, I wrote um, six children's books. Wow! <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I I actually I did them because. Um, we have all these digital pictures, right? We don't do photo albums anymore, okay? Unless your grandparents do them or whatever, but they typically are digital, all right? And I said, like, what are we doing with all these digital pictures? Well, there's an app, and you can take your picture and turn it into a cartoon. Now you're gonna you're gonna think this is crazy, but why I started? Because this gall, I'm telling you, this goes back to Farragut. <laughs> um, I was playing in LA with my granddaughter and she had a, a, a little ballerina set and she had four little ballerinas and had a horse. So I put this little tutu and shoes on this horse and I made a three minute film called the horse that wore ballet shoes. And this is not stop action. This is digital version of stop this action. is just a little bitty funny little thing. Me playing with my son. We we're talking about these these ballerinas on a horse, and and okay, I said, so you're holding hey. it with your hand. You're just kind of doing a rough draft here. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just shooting a little film, mm -hmm. short film, three minute film, and and I and I called it, you know, the horse that wore ballet shoes, <laughs> and um, and I said, hey, I could make a, a children's book out of this yeah and guess what the horse wants to be in the steeplechase steeplechase he wants to jump mm -hmm. so he finds this wise owl who's in the field and says hey if you want to be a, a great jumper you need to have ballet shoes you have to get have to get strong legs so you can jump and you need to have good shoes and so you know, if you go down to Feather Rose Ballet Shoe uh, Ballet Studio, which is my daughter's son or my daughter's uh, name is Feather Rose, she's my character, the advent the adventures of Feather Rose. So, reason number, this, reason number two hundred and fifty eight <laughs> to take ballet in high school on the football team. Well, <laughs> I mean, you see, this goes back to me playing. Uh, taking fair uh, ballet at Farragut and at yeah. UT. And that's where this story came from is a horse that wore ballet shoes. So it's about this horse that, you know, takes ballet from Feather Rose studio and he wins the super steeplechase. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, that same week I, I was at the uh, Southern botanical garden with my daughter and there was a lot of roses and I was taking pictures with her and this, and that. but the, also in there, there was this, um, feather or uh, fairy houses and feather uh, fairy um, trails. And you could, you could um, walk the trail and find the little fairy houses. 
so like I, Tinkerbell, I banked, Tinkerbell, like Tinkerbell, right? Yeah, yeah, and and so I I I, I wrote I take those pictures and and I I made a story fairy uh, uh, fairies in the garden, and and it's about a family that goes to the the southern uh, southern botanical garden and spending time together, and it's about a family that spends time together. And they find the fairy and, and the fairy tells her that the most important thing is what you just found out is spending time with family. <laughs> so as I wrote another some, life lesson, another life. Yeah. Lesson. yeah. Now those books, all my little books, I, I call them Papal Joslin, Papal Joslin, because what I used to call my Papal, uh, Papal Joslin and Feather Rose. And they're all <laughs> on Amazon. A little, you know, so there's. Well, I'm going to put the link on the show notes so people can go there and check them out. Yeah, I think you can look up like Jocelyn books because I've got an acting book up there too about pick me, pick me, how to do the entertainment industry with little to no experience. And uh, everybody had always asked me, how do you do this? How do you do that? Well, I just wrote questions. I, I got the questions that everybody ever asked me about. There are 30 questions in that book on how to do it and um, and how I did it. Go from nothing, uh, no entertainment, no no training to do what I do now. And and But going back to through this stroke. And if I hadn't had the stroke gone through a stroke, I wouldn't been here in Knoxville because in, in February 20th, I had gone through a, a, a documentary training on how to do a documentary. And so I I thought, man, instead of doing a feature film of coach sparks, I think I'm gonna do a documentary. So I went to Barry Mauser's hall of fame dinner, February, 2020. And I saw a couple of guys from Carson Newman and I saw these guys. I said, Hey, I want to tell the story of documentary or this documentary of Ken Sparks. I want to do it. And they said, let's do it. So we started and I got producers in, in Tampa that I'd done some, some um, commercials with that they were going to help me. And, and um, because I went to Carson Newman and, and talked to the film um, professor up there and the, the athletic director and the film professor Keith McDaniel said, have you ever done a documentary? I said, no, I've done two um, feature films, micro budget and stuff like that. This is not, not micro. It's not, um, not, you know, science, you know, science. Um, it's not, what, what, what am I trying to say? Um, it's not rocket science. You know, I mean, you put together a team and, and you tell a story, you know, on a documentary. And I said, I'll find the producers and I'll find the money. Cause they, they had done it three years before, they tried to do it and they couldn't get the money and they, they couldn't do the documentary with Ken Sparks when he was alive. Uh, Cause they wanted to do it and FCA wanted to be a part of it, but they couldn't do it. So well, I'm going to do it. So I'm going to find the money. I'm going to get it done. Well, what happens in 2020 February or, Mar- or March, 2020 COVID shut us down. Wow. So during the process, because I get, I got stimulus money, you know, because I'm self-employed. Well, I just started buying equipment what we need, what we need, what we need, what we need equipment. And uh, cause I had already had some stuff anyway, but I needed to upgrade, update it in the process in August, my oldest son, Jeffrey and Sierra and the granddaughter says, we are out of California. We're leaving We're, this is getting crazy. We're going to move to Nashville. Will you come to California and drive our car? And we're going to take four days and camp all the way across and all the way the process, uh, we stopped at my sister's house and then one of the have a house in, in, in um, Scottsdale, um, Scottsville, and in, in outside of Bowling Green. So we were there, we were on the lake 
because I have a, a little pontoon boat. So we were in the water and my daughter-in-law is a director, a writer, actress, and she's put out some, some stuff on Walmart and DVDs and stuff like that. And, and she said, Hey, let's shoot something. I said, well, here it is. It's ready to go. Ken Sparks story. And that's a month later, we found more money and started in September, 2020 finished in basically July of 2021, put it in, you know, put it in the theaters 2022. And, um, and I'm telling you, if, if it hadn't been a stroke, I wouldn't have done it. I would not have done it. And, and you think why things happen in people's lives, mm-hmm. you know, bad stuff, you know, you got to look at dramatic, them. you know, terrible. I'm, I'm about to lose my mind. I can't talk. I can't, you know, what's going on yeah. here. You're probably praying your heart out. What's going on. And you're probably being told, Hey, just calm down, ride this out. There's going to be a better reason on the other end. And yeah. there was, <laughs> there was, but, and you, you think, I mean, why in the world was I born here in Farragut grew up here I met a guy, Ken Sparks, in 1977, and he became a spiritual father in my life that changed my life, you know, for eternity, changed my life because of his influence and my parents' influence, but but mainly because because of a coach who he came to know Christ, and he shared it, that spark with somebody, it that spark happened in my life. And, and I want to tell that spark. I want to tell that story. And all of a sudden, fast forward, I get into the entertainment industry. I see facing the, t- I mean, how this kind of works its way out. And, and it, it's, it's still amazing to me how God can take a stupid game like football or take any kind of platform and use it to create people's lives and change their lives for eternity. Um, you know, it's like, like athletics with a purpose. It's a platform. It's just a platform mm-hmm. and we better be very good stewards of our lives mm-hmm. and, and what we've been given um, with a relationship with Christ. What are we doing with it? Are we just playing around? Are we just, are we living for the dot? Or are we living for the line? If we're living for the line, then this dot doesn't matter. And people's lives do matter and their souls do matter. Um, and if we really believe that there is an eternity and a heaven and a hell, and we know that there is, and we know that the Bible is right and true, shouldn't we be telling people in every way possible that we meet, whether you're a, 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 a trash collector or you're a filmmaker, what are you, you going to do? Know, with you what never are you going to do? Meet and influence your story, and it is a redemption story. You know, taking a life yeah. that, that doesn't seem to be going anywhere, then all of a sudden, course correction, and it's completely different. And yeah. just you I mean, know, not even preaching one word to anybody. 
because you know your actions reveal so much to people that you'll never meet and then you're still influencing people you never knew and and a lot of people will say well i don't i don't know what to say how about just living it yeah how about living it first people are so sick of people telling me to do this and do that they want to see somebody that will live it and once they see that you've lived it then you have the right to maybe talk to somebody about the relationship of Christ. They want to see a, they want to see a Jesus living it. They don't want to hear the words. And, and that's, that's been my life too. It's like, man, I better be living it, you know, keep the faith and live it out. And then when I, when God in God's providence brings people around in my life, whether it's in the entertainment industry or whether it's at the grocery store or this or that, get your focus off yourself. Your focus, you're focusing on yourself. That's the problem. You think about yourself instead of other people. And, um, and we're on, you know, we're on Facebook and this and that we're on the social media stuff and people are crying out. They're crying out for, for people to care for them and uh, you know what do we post what do we post about what do we what do we fight about we fought about politics we fought about this we fought about will smith and this and that does that matter <laughs> good lord this stuff it doesn't matter it doesn't matter only thing that matters is people's lives eternity and that's it and so how are you gonna how are you gonna flesh it out how are you gonna flesh it out in your life um, you know, you spend, it, it's interesting at the end, I think it's Sunday. It, it pops up how much time I've spent on social media. I think it pops up on Facebook. Oh, you've spent 20 minutes less this week on, you know, Facebook or whatever. And, and, and you, and it's, it could be, could be six hours a day that you spend on Facebook, you know, Facebook or, or whatever. And you think, how much time you spend on social media? What, what about taking some of that time and spending it in somebody's life that needs help? <laughs> you know, are you willing to do that? You know, spend less time off of social media and, and spend more time helping with people, you know, their lives and what's going on, their struggles and this and that. Cause everybody. And there's a know. mental illness epidemic. It seems that the, the media points out all the time, people are stressful. And it's like, when you get out of yourself, your situation and help someone else, that's one of the greatest therapeutic tools ever. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Man, it's, and it's, it's, I hate it because it's my business. I got to tell people, what's going on because I'm an entertainer and you know, I got to want you to watch, you know, Ken Spark's story and this and that. And you know, I was like, oh, you know, I, I tell you, I had, I had, I had to, I had to walk away, especially after the stroke because of so much anxiety and, and stress that's, I mean, still in my life that can help, that can come. Uh, I had to walk away from politics mm-hmm. and fights. I had to just turn it away and, and I had to just stop looking at any of that, uh, the fights, because you're not going to, you're not going to convince anybody on Facebook telling somebody this or that. And even Christian stuff, you know, you're not going to convince an an atheist person. Um, In fact, I had, I had a conversation 
that somebody had posted somebody on a friend of mine's post and, and, um, and, and she was, a, he was an atheist. And, um, and so we started talking. I said, look, and he said, well, you, you, wanna, you know, why don't you convince me that there is a God? And I said, okay, I'd be glad to, I've got some great evidence. Um, here's my email, email me and we will have a phone call and I will even record it. Cause I got both, uh, you know, I've got this sure SM seven B and I've got my little zoom. I, I did the podcast, uh, podcast stuff. I said, we can talk and I will be glad to talk to you about if there's a God and Jesus and this and that. And I put it up there so, so many times to ask him to do it and he wouldn't do it. Wouldn't talk to me. Um, face to face. I said, that's what I want. I said, I want to talk to you because your soul matters. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight on social media. If you want to talk to, if you really want to know if there's a God, then, then I can show you, you know, how I met, how I met over and how I have a relationship with the God of the universe. Um, you know, cause I, what amazes me is that when they say that, you know, flying monkeys on a ball and big bang type stuff. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any good nonsense. You know, to, to well, think coming, coming, something, coming, nothing from uh, coming from out of nothing to something. Right. Right. It takes more faith. It takes more faith. It takes more faith. Like Billy Graham, he has that watch, you know, I have a watch here. It didn't just fly together. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> It's true. I mean, you look at this world and it potentially it, we may have more land out there than we know. Maybe we're not even on a ball. Maybe it goes on forever. I mean, that's what the ancients thought. But think about that for a second. There could be people out there we've never met. And that is a creator making stuff there. Yeah, it's because um, uh, I, I it was interesting because I, when I was in college, um. In one week, I had two visits from Jehovah's Witnesses and three visits from the Mormons knock on my door. Fresh and meat. I, huh? Fresh meat in the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I could not tell them why I believed what I believed. I couldn't. I, I was. I was. I was, I was pushed in circles. I couldn't understand. I, I couldn't tell my, I couldn't defend my faith. And I said, what do I believe? And why do I believe it? And how, and I can, how can I tell somebody, especially like, you know, the Mormons and, and cults and stuff like that. How can I do this? I can't even, I don't even know why I believe. And if it's true, is it blind faith? Well, I ended up, um, and you probably remember this. There was a book by Josh McDowell, um, uh, New Evidence That Demands a Verdict, or Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And, um, and, it's a, and I read that book front to, cut, front, front to back. <laughs> and, um, and then I got involved, actually, with a group called Watchman Fellowship, which would help you be able to talk to the Mormons and, and Jehovah's Witnesses through a series of questions. And there were times <clears throat> it, it changed my life because, because now I knew the facts that was true and evidence that, that 
that we are reliable, that the Bible is reliable and that, that, that it's historical evidences that we have faith. It's not just blind faith. It's, we have, we have, we have facts and, and are you going to believe those facts? Because there, there's some people who say, well, there wasn't a Jesus. Well, if you don't believe Jesus, you don't believe Caesar <laughs> because Jesus was a historical figure. And so you better believe that Jesus was a historical figure. And he said certain things. And he's right there in the Bible. And God says this and God says that. And he says about you and what's going to happen in eternity. And so now do you want to believe it and put your faith into it? That's your, that's where you come to and that's where you have make the decision to make you know your faith but you, you can't you can't you know talk about the fact the, the facts are there just like anything is it's it's, it's historical um facts of of jesus christ and either like what was it was it c.s lewis said that you're either a liar a lunatic or a lord so what are you going to believe Right. And, you know, and you, you mentioned the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. A lot of the uh, aberrant, um, I guess you call cultic belief structures, what they do oftentimes is they tell their members when approached with some, someone approaches you with some ulterior view, don't even read it. You know, that that's anti-Mormon literature. You know, I was a Mormon for a few years before I got out of it. And that's what, by and large, they're told. So not only are they indoctrinated on one direction, they are withheld from any alternative perspective. And that is very dangerous and limit education. Yeah. Yeah. And in and, and the Book of Mormon, um, there is no historical facts that are in the Book of Mormon. There's no, even the Smithsonian won't even will tell you that it's just a, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a book of fiction. Right. Um, and the Bible has, you know, with pottery and the coinage and the places and this and that. And, and, um, and so I, I would, what I would do is when the Mormons would come to my door, I would invite them. I said, I want you to tell me about what, what you guys believe. I want, and they would take me through their lessons mm -hmm. and it would take the first lesson, go to the second lesson. And then <clears throat> I would have these certain questions like, where's the box? Where's the box that the, um, the plates, the, the golden plates were in, what'd you do with the box? Yeah, well, we, it's gone. We don't know where it's at. But yeah. the, the main thing I would hit on with, with the Mormons, because in the Mormon doctrine, Jesus and Satan were brothers, oh, yeah. physical brothers. And they were, gotten, you know, God impregnated Mary and had two sons. And he gave out there and said, hey, you know, give me a, a plan to salvation, you know, to sell, you know, save human, humanity and, 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 you know, Jesus gave that story and, and Satan gave his story and God decided to use Jesus's plan and, and Satan rebelled and all of them, you know, left heaven, one third of, you know, left heaven. And, um, and so I would, I would do two, two verses, Ephesians 6, 12 and Colossians 1, 16, and uh, talk about, you know, we, we, wrestle against prince you know principalities and powers and blah blah blah. i would ask the mormons well, what what is that talking about well that's the devil and the, and the demons well what about colossians 16 where it says i've i've created everything blah 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 and it's jesus christ that he was the creator and they couldn't answer that jesus was the creator is god they couldn't understand that jesus was god they couldn't understand the, trin the trinity they couldn't understand that god is one and that he is you know 
flesh in, and that is Jesus. Christ. And so they would bring their, their elders in the third lesson. The <laughs> and they, they, I mean, I'm telling you that because they were trying to know that now I'm trying to pull this guy away. These, these oh, Mormon okay. mission guy. And so they would, they would never come back after the third lesson. They couldn't yeah, handle it. Probably they told they not could, to. Told oh yeah. 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 And um, you know, with the pearl pearls of, uh, Pearl, Pearl, great price. Pearl's a great price. And, uh, there's another doctrine, book covenants. doctrine and covenants. Yep. And, um, and it's funny that I had 50 questions. This guy would give me 50 questions to answer these Mormons and say, okay, I want you to ask, ask these, answer these questions. Uh, not right now, but I'm going to give you these questions and tell me where this book comes from. And so I'll do these 50 questions and they'll say, well, that comes from the book of Mormon. I'll say, no, it doesn't. It comes from a, a, a book called the, the um, something from the Hebrews. And it was a book that Joseph Smith had. A view of, Smith the, Hebrew, a view of yes. the Hebrews. Yes, that's it. By that's Ethan, it. Um, let's see, Ethan Smith, I believe it is, 1825. Yeah. That came yep. Out. yep. And so that's where a lot of this stuff comes from. Oh, yeah. Totally <laughs> to plagiarized. And not only and so, that, the whole chunks of Isaiah are thrown in there to boot to fill it up. Yes, yes. And so that, <laughs> and that see, that was with the Watchman fellowship group they wanted to create to plant seeds of doubt mm -hmm. in the mormons because every time they would tell that same lesson those missionaries were going to be remembering me and telling them about ephesians 6 12 and colossians 1 16 and 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 so hopefully one day in eternity some of those Mormons missionaries that I talked to that they woke up <laughs> and I'm they sure. came into Christ, you know, maybe they'll come up and say, Hey, you know, you made it, you made a dish. You may, um, it, 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 this is a great story too, that when I was in the Canadian football league and you wonder why I'm there and, and why I was there for this certain period now, of time. Tell me why they added the extra 10 yards on the field. Oh, they want to be, they want to be, they want to be different. Good gosh. <laughs> well, they also had a, they also had a 120 yard field long. Uh, yeah. It had 65, 65 wide wide. And the, um, the, um, the end zone was 25 yards and they had um, uh, 12 men uh, and they had three downs. Um, so, <clears throat> so when I was there, well, no wonder it folded. They ran out of room. Huh? <laughs> no wonder it quit operating as a league. They didn't have any place to play. All the land was taken by other fields. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so it, I love that because you throw 50 times a game, you know, you throw and it was, it was a quarterback's dream, you know, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> we have, we have three downs and you have two to all you have to do is throw the whole time. Um, so when I was there, my first year, no, it was the second year when I was at, at um, I, I was, uh, I was playing quarterback, but also I was holding for the kicker and Terry Baker was there. And so one, we went to one of the, um, I guess the uh, preseason games or whatever. And on the way back, I was talking to him about his faith. I said, you know, you, you go to church anywhere. He goes, eh, I go, you know, Easter and Christmas. And so I was sharing him my uh, share. I was sharing my faith with him. And, and I told him that, you know, that for by grace, you're saved, you know, Ephesians two, eight, nine. And, um, and he said, you mean every time you pray and you say grace, 
you're saved. <laughs> I said, no, I said, it's not like that. And this guy, I, mean, I was talking about how ignorant he was of the Bible. And so on the way back, I talked to him and then I gave him my Bible and he said, he, he was, he was married and said, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it home. I want to read it. First question. He came back to me. Where did Cain get his wife? <laughs> and I'm like, Oh crap. Um, you know, these are some of these stories I didn't really know what to say, but, but we went through all this stuff and, and this and that, and I know how to be saved. And he said, listen, and he came back later and he said, you know what? My wife and I are just, we're, we're not ready to, 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 you know, basically turn our lives into Christ or, you know, give her, give our life, give our life to Christ right now. Um, but we appreciate you. And you gave, gave me back the Bible. Three years later, I'm sitting in Nashville um in donaldson in the office fca office mm -hmm. i got a phone call hey jeff this is only if you remember me this is terry baker the kicker from toronto argonauts i just want to let you know that my wife and i have come to know christ and you planted that seed in my life back then and mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I broke down and cried. I mean, I'm crying now but because of what, and man, I would have loved to play Canadian football league. That was my life. But I know that I was there not for me. Mm -hmm. I was there for Terry Baker and his wife. And that's the only reason. Yeah. And sometimes and, and, you feel a little arrogant to tell somebody, hey, the only reason that you got this job or I got this job is so we could meet and I could share this important message. It's like, well, really? Yeah. But that doesn't mean you have to quit your job. I'm just saying this is probably the reason you, you ended up here and I ended up here. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting. The guy I stayed with in Toronto Argonauts during the playoffs, my last season there bruce and Edie gray in toronto actually it was um right outside of toronto i can't remember the name but um where we lived <laughs> um but i stayed with him and um i just sent him a message two or three days ago because there's a distributor in canada that wants to distribute our film documentary film and fca has started FCA in Canada and they have athletes in action as well. Cause I worked with athletes in action when I was there for with the Toronto Argonauts. Well, Bruce gray is now an FCA director in either Hamilton or Toronto. I'm not sure where up there, but, um, and, and so I said, Hey, here's the opportunity to see the ultimate coach and see these coaches in Canada to see this guy and, 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 you know, and see, and you know, in person, and see what you're supposed to be doing in Canada as a coach with all these athletes, and uh, and make an impact. So this is this is what this is what Sparks Ken Sparks was about right here is making the influence and changing people's lives, mm -hmm. and that is why I'm doing what I'm doing. <laughs> and why it's a passion to tell Ken Sparks' story and then tell 
the the feature film it only takes a spark um so the feature uh, film is yet to be produced you're working on it now yeah and uh, so you're kind of starting all over from scratch again like you did for the documentary and it's a new project so I was wondering, I have an interview I did with Robin Page Sharp. She's an actress, one of the class of 82 classmates. She mentioned Sight and Sound Theater in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Have you ever heard of this place? No. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's like a Broadway for Christians. I'm thinking you might want to tap there and see if you can find some acting ability there. People that are seasoned Christian background that might want to be in the film. Mm, it's sight that's and Sound theaters in Lancaster, okay. Pennsylvania. And I can hook you up with Robin too, when we get done here and you can talk to her about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you never know. Cause it's just all those, you never know, you know, you never know what can happen. So, you know, the gods, you know, using, you know, the, I, I mean, I heard, heard this the other day, you know, you wake up every day and, and just, you live in, god's providence and you know there were times christ when he would do i must needs go to you know samaria to find that woman at the well and jesus woke up that day to said i must needs go to samaria and and look what happened (laughs) you know and so again focusing on ourselves and waking up every morning, God, what is, be thankful, just like I could have died with this stroke. And, 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 and it's, it's interesting for three years during the stroke, I've lived and, and, and been thankful, thankful for every moment that I have. I don't know if I'm going to have another stroke um, if I'm going to lose my speech, if I'm going to lose my memory, if I'm, if I'm going to die, you know? And so I'm thankful for every moment I'm living every moment, being thankful to being able to talk to you, being able to see, being able, I mean, it, it changed, it changed everything with me with the stroke and it woke me up again that I had an opportunity to, con- that God's not finished with me. And, and I'm, I wake up every morning, you know, and, and just run to God's providence. Where are you going to sh- show me next? You know, where are you going to send me next? And um, so it's been exciting to, to be a part of this. And, yeah. you know, well, people- I mean, if I were in your situation, wondering if this is going to happen to me again, do some research on how to prevent it. Like ginkgo biloba thins the blood effectively. It's a natural supplement at Walmart. Um, just change diet and exercise to keep those clots from ever forming again, because you are valuable to the, to the world, to the entertainment industry, for sure. I mean, we know how messed up Hollywood is. So if you can get some really good films going on here, and it reminds me of Amy Grant's story. Love will find a way. Okay. 1984. Here she is, um, you know, crossing over. They even had a new term for her. She's, she's crossing over and taking the cross over. And the secular radio stations, 
you know, they're in Knoxville, the U102 pop station. They were playing her music. KDF in Nashville, rock and roll. They were playing Unguarded, Love Will Find a Way. But what she did is she smashed the mouth, the face of the mouth of the industry that said, oh, well, you know, that message is just not for us. And if it's not for you, who is it for? I mean, what did Jesus really want to do? He hung out with people who needed the message. Yeah. So I see you, Jeff. I see you taking this medium, this media, this film, and sparking a revolution. I think it could happen. Yeah, it's it's, um, it's one of those, you know, again, I have to go back to what the platform is. Um, you know, um, athletics with a purpose, entertainment with a purpose, take that, take that blank, whatever it is, either athletics or entertainment, or is it real estate with a purpose, or is it podcasts with a purpose or whatever you do? Is it with purpose or is it just, are you just putting it down in that dot, <laughs> you know, and not worrying about the line um are you living for that dot living for the line what are you doing um also heard so it's called the dash the dash between the like on a tombstone yeah, yes yeah that too what, did, what um, did your dash represent you know those two dates beginning and ending of your life that's right this life you know because <laughs> you know there's it's a hundred percent chance you're not going to get out of here <laughs> oh and i just thought of something i just thought of something jeff it just came to me i swear I, okay so you got a dot and a dash and i think that's morse code so what's our code for the world <laughs> Ooh, there you go dots yep. and dashes yep. you put the right way <laughs> yeah interesting yeah, well, it's, what, um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I mean, we've gone on. I think it's my world record interview for the Big Blue podcast, and you've got a lot to share. Um, I don't want to take too much of more of your time, give you some time. No, I'm, rest, fine. I'm fine. I do want to say this. The, until you told me about your stroke that you had, I had no clue that the person I'm talking to on the other end of this microphone had a major, major stroke just recently in the last few years. You, you've completely recovered in, in my book, you know. Well, it's, it's, it is interesting um, <clears throat> because you got to, got to try to stop these atrial fibs. Okay. Mm -hmm. The, you know, the, you got to take out of the stress out of your life, the drama. Um, well, in December, because it was October 30th, 2018. So in December 31st, they put a monitor. Well, it's a little inch long device underneath the skin of my heart to monitor my heart because you can't monitor a stroke you monitor the heart and so when you have a stroke man you your brain gets so tired i mean i was i was laying down three or four times a day um because i was on medical relief i wasn't working except for the commercial stuff, because it was kind of natural for me to do it. And it was easy to do because I didn't have to learn it, which was good. And, and, and a lot of the commercials that I would do, they weren't improv. You didn't, there were no, there were no dialogues. It was just smiles and this and that and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and so, but after that, I'm, I'm getting so tired. I'm tired all the time. I, I got to get some energy. So I was, I did a CrossFit class. <laughs> six week class crossfit it was eight o'clock monday wednesday and friday at night 
a buddy of mine, did, a buddy of mine that I was friends, actually was living with that time. Um, we started, no, we, were, we, were, we would just meet there. Um, and so if you know CrossFit, I mean, there's a lot of cardio. And I was, I didn't have any kind of cardio thing that was going on. So for the listeners benefit, give us a brief description. What is CrossFit? Because I thought you said cross stitch at first. Well, (laughs) you know, you could, you could be, you could be riding a bike. You could do burpees. You could do um, uh, uh, those uh, wall balls, things, ropes. And I mean, there's a lot of cardio. The decathlon type thing. Well, kind of, but if you do it, you do it in a gym. So you do, you know, squats and you'll do, you know, power cleans with dumbbells. And so it's, it's actually, you're doing 20 or 30 different reps um, and then, and wait, you know, stop for 30 seconds and go back to doing something else. Um, and you're just always changing for 45 minutes. Well, I think it was in, in several months, about a month later, um, I went for a checkup. They were going to check my heart cardio guy and 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 because what this what this device was was it would upload my my rhythms my my beats my heartbeats um every night to the doctor and and the cardiologist and also have a button so if i ever had an event i could push the button you know like help i'm 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 falling falling for i'm falling and and i can't get up kind of thing um and so it, the doctor would would check it and see if there's anything going on. Um, and so I go to the doctor and he he says he's looking at these looking at this chart of my my heartbeat heartbeats and he says what are you what are you doing Monday Wednesday and Friday at eight fifteen your heart rhythm is is 170 beats per minute what what are you doing. <laughs> I joked. I said, "Well, I'm not having sex." So I said, "I'm having a CrossFit class." <laughs> and she's, "Oh!" I said, "Okay, well, that's fine. Just do whatever you want to do." Um, um, I just, I just did. I didn't understand why three times a week your 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 heart was going nuts uh, on there, and um, and so it, what happened was too was that in April I ended up having. They said, "Hey, you you've had an atrial another atrial fib." You've had, you know, an event and you may not have known it, but you had an event. I need to put you on blood thinner. So that dissolves all these clots. And, um, and actually a cardiologist told me too, is that if you can just at least walk 30 minutes a day, this would be better for your heart, be better for your brain and and for strokes. And uh, so if you're not doing anything, and, and here's the thing is that one out of four people have a PFO. I mean, the chances that you have a PFO is pretty high, you know, 25% of the people, you know, are four people, somebody's got one. And, and I, I'm on a group on Facebook, uh, stroke survivors group, and you wouldn't believe how many young people are having strokes and it has to be. And, and I always ask people when, when they're on there, I said, have you, how many of you have had a PFO? And a lot of them say, I've had a PFO, I have a PFO. Um, That's a modern thing. What, what is the cause of these younger people today doing? Having well, and I actually said too, that, that marijuana because of the THC mm. and, and w- because it'll cause you to have an atrial fib. 
just like alcohol can and, and stress. And, and so a lot of these young people, they say that marijuana is causing people to have strokes and, and because if they have an, a, if they have a, a PFO and they're having, you know, an atrial fib, you got a 40%, 50% chance of having a stroke. What about the medical use? Is there something done to it medically that changes that? As far as what the, like if they take the THC or the, the oh, I don't know, and I, make yeah. it where it won't make you have a stroke. You use it medicinally instead. Yeah. I've, uh, you know, I've, I've stayed away from it and I've never done stuff like that. Um, it's not been my, my bag to do drugs and, uh, and I'm glad to. Yeah. I tell people all the time, I need those brain cells. I don't think I'll have that drink. No. Kind of need a few brain cells active all the time. Well, look, um, again, I don't want to take too much of your time. You, you want to have anything else you wanted to say before we wrap up here? Um, maybe talk about the old days or, or what have you. And now, um, um, you know, um, gosh, there's, you know, we'd love to talk to you again about anything, really. Um, yeah. Give you updates on the, um, especially when we start doing this, um, doing the distribution thing, you know, right. I'll send that that to you that because I, I just actually got an email while we're on on the phone that they are that the um uh, will be posted this afternoon and put the price point like 6.99 to rent it 12.99 to purchase um and that will be on salemnow.com i think um, you're okay releasing that on this podcast you're not gonna get <laughs> i think i should oh, better not but <laughs> I'm just telling I'll, you, I'll cut that part out. Uh, <laughs> well, good. Because really, because really, we haven't, we haven't, we haven't sealed the deal with a distributor. This is a platform, so it's, it's, it's you know, it's like I, you know, iTunes or whatever. Um, and so I, I won't be pushing necessarily until the distributor says, "Hey, we've been inked the deal," and and uh, and then I can say, "Hey, go to Salem now," or I could do this, or go to epoch or or um because they have their own little plot you know platforms you know right um, yeah that's a bunch of them these days a lot of oh streaming God. going on yeah yeah because uh, so you know the first the first step is to take it to drop it in a place like an itunes you know where they rent it and let it and let it run for however long it takes and then then it'll go to the free sites like ruku and and, and stuff like that mm-hmm. and uh and then the only reason I always wondered, well, how, how can I make money kind of stuff, you know, on this stuff? And they said, well, the ads, you know, the because you have to watch ads. So, Free to me with ads. Free to me with ads. Yeah. 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 So the distributor saying, well, that's how you, you know, how you'll get, you know, revenues from, from these sites like Roku and, and Firestick or whatever it is. Um, yeah. Amazon Prime, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So. Um, so it's been interesting to, to know all this stuff too, from, from, cause I always wanted to do it since 2006 to, to put a film out there and I didn't know how to distribute it and put it in theaters and, and deal with distributors. And, and now I've, I've been able to do it and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful and, and I've been able to stay here and learn and, know this stuff so um have you thought about have you thought about this you don't want to like i guess shoot yourself in the foot type of thing so you're planning a feature film now based on the documentary so to not confuse the average uh viewer i guess make them think when the feature film comes out they'll go oh i already saw that 
So is there a way you can market it where they won't think that way? Yeah, because you're going to see a great football film. You're going to see like We Are Marshall. You're going to see Remember the Titans. You're going to see okay, Facing yeah. the Giants. So it's going to be a totally different thing. It's just going to be more of a narrative, a story, mm-hmm. a true story um, um, about a guy that, that did this or did that. Uh, now, if you saw the documentary, you'll hear you'll hear behind the scenes of what happened in this guy's life and from some of these players. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's way different than seeing a feature film. You can't tell everything. So it, 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 it pairs great to know the documentary, you know, that, you know, that it's almost like you've read the book mm-hmm. and now you're going to see the feature film fleshed it out into a football right. film and everybody likes good football films, you know, just like, you know, if you heard the story of, um, you know, Kurt Warner, you know, a lot of people have heard the story and all of a sudden you see, a, a you know, kind of fleshed out, you know, yeah. and that was and a great movie. I saw the movie. That was a really inspiring movie. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. I, 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 I was kind of, um, um, I, I, I knew he had such a strong faith. Kurt in Court Warner, because uh, I knew his story, but there wasn't much of a, his faith element in this movie. It was his wife. I noticed that. Yeah, and so it was a little disappointing to me to not have more of a faith element for him. Um, so, um, and in fact, some of our distributors said, "Well, they kind of watered it down." And so they were disappointed too. So, didn't so really we, have to. They had her story as the water already. Don't remove the Kool-Aid powder. Warner's yeah. story, you know? What's the yeah. point here? Yeah. You know, some of so these it, Holly, some of these Holly weird people, they just think weirdly. And, and usually it's a bad decision they make. Yeah, they they understand that that because you won't tell people about this Kurt Warner, you won't say this is a faith-based movie, right? Uh, no, you, I would you, say it has faith elements in it, but the movie really was the fact that he came out of, uh, you know, so prolonged period from the collegiate world and walked on that yeah. to me, that was the message. Yeah. Don't give up. So, on, walk on your life, walk into something, be, you know, don't think you have to go to school and be educated up before you do something great in your life. Walk on yeah. life, walk all stomp on life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing too, is that you think, because when you say facing the giants, you, you would say that that's a faith-based film. And that's the difference. There's a huge faith element in facing the giants or God's not dead or, or um, uh, fireproof. Those are faith-based films. Right. And promoted as such on the front yeah. end. Yeah. See, our film, we're not going to tag it faith-based film. We're going to give you a good football film. Yeah. But guess what? You're going to see his faith. Um, Because I don't want, I don't want to be corralled into a faith-based film genre. Um, Because I want it to go out to people like a Terry Baker that doesn't know Christ and they want to go see a great football film. All of a sudden, well, he did this because of his faith. 
and it's not going to be it's not going to be cheesy it's not going to be it's not going to because i'm just going to tell you okay because you don't have a lot of money in in in, in the faith element like some of the some of the faith-based films are kind of cheesy they're not very good because they don't put a lot of money into it well we want to put a lot of money into a good football film you know we want to we want to make it good entertainment to watch it and not say oh gosh this is this is so cheesy this is so yes 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 he made yes yeah no this guy lost his family because of his his divorce and mm-hmm. and he played a part in that his wife had an affair we're not going to make it all rosy mm-hmm. okay um you know i mean in, in the documentary i talk about that I, I was sexually abused at 11 this is life we're not going to fluff it over we're not going to walk it away and, and 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 water it down you know we're gonna we're gonna tell the story but it's gonna be a good football film and um and if we do it right i think it will be probably one of the better football films that's been out there and, and i and i watch them all the time I, I i've seen them you know and, and i was gonna say i was gonna say look at the cheesy ones a lot and often because you know, when the FBI hires somebody, like the story of Catch Me If You Can, Leonardo DiCaprio played a true story. Oh, yeah. In the end, he was hired by the FBI in the counterfeiting operation because he knew so well how to counterfeit. And so, but he paid a lot of attention on the real money. So when a fake came through, he, you know, right off the bat. So while you observing all these other really badly cheesy done faith films, you'll know, okay, this is what we don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. I mean, that's that's one of the things that um, um, you know. Just like I, I, I want to tell the story of the Bushy Mountain prison story with Red Fuller and 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 the wall, you know, the the warden Stony Lane. You think we're going <laughs> to tell a prison story? I mean, look at Shane Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. You know. And then, and then infuse a great faith element in there about a, a, an inmate that came to know Christ, and then it comes out of there in 1982 uh, uh, because of Ken Sparks helping him get paroled uh, mm-hmm. from a two-life years, you know, murder system, or murder, uh, murder sentence. Um, you know, you've got to, you've got to tell a story, um, and so you know it's one of those things <laughs> that that my daughter daughter-in-law sierra you know it's kind of like we want to make it good we want to make a great film that that hollywood you know look at it and say wow we need to we need to change some things you know <laughs> we need to we need to understand that christians will go to the because christians will go to the theater you know now we are you going to give them something cheesy, or are you going to give them something good? You know, um, there was a great movie. You know, I can only imagine if you remember that. Yeah, um, the Josh Brogan song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, probably one of the better Christian films. People came in droves to see that. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because that song cross the line into secular radio 
Yeah. And everybody knew about it and they want to hear, well, how did he get this? How did he get this? And that was some serious stuff that dad beating that kid in that, in that story. Mm-hmm. And that was a, that was a huge element in there that they could have, you know, you know, fluffed it up and, and made it easy. And no, it was, it was a tough, it was, it was a movie to watch, tough to watch mm-hmm. um, with him and that daughter or that, that son, you know, beating him like that. Um, so it, that's the kind of thing with, with why, why can't Christians create good content mm-hmm. and be proud of it and not just make it cheesy? You know, you remember Larry it, Norman, the Christian contemporary artist, Larry Norman from back in the seventies, eighties. Oh yeah. Yeah. He had a really famous song about, I wish we'd all been ready, but he had this other oh, song. Man. I really like you talk about what you said right now. He said, well, why should the devil have all the good music? You know? Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, it was funny. Cause I, when I moved to Carson Newman, um, I started listening to, Christian music. I had really never heard much about Amy Grant and, and um, what Scott Green was it? Uh, what was it? Green? Oh, Michael, no, Steve, w. Steve Green. Smith. Steve, Michael, w. Michael Steve W. Smith. Green. Steve yeah, Steve Green can yeah. belt out an acapella tune like nobody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I was like, wow, this is Christian music. This is great. And it kind of changed my whole thought thought process you know because i was a boston guy i was kiss and i was because i was in the band you know we played you know leonard skinner and we you know i mean just like what, all of you us remember striper striper threw oh, bibles striper. out in the audience and hopefully you didn't get hit in the head with one but they could really rock man striper that's, right. that's funny <laughs> that was funny interesting so well, we're going to look forward to the the coming of the feature version of this incredible documentary, and maybe you can put pieces of it in the uh, feature film too. You know, don't let that go to waste. There's some probably some good inserts you can throw in there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, we're just going to wrap this thing up for today. And okay, um, appreciate gonna, it. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate your time. I did. I've always wanted to talk to you about this ever since I heard about the film coming out. And then, oh, really? He directed it. Well, I, I used to be on the same football team with him at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> How will I ever get an interview with him? Then, uh, just I just one thing led to another. You had an email. I think. How did we contact each other? Someone gave me um, a way to get a hold of you. But I'm glad we did. And maybe yeah. we'll talk again after the feature film comes out, or even any time. Um, and I want to put a plug in for a reunion. I, you can come as our special guest, even though you weren't the class of 82. I think you're close enough. Uh, just be my guest. It's going to be July 9th at the Knoxville Lighthouse on Bomb Drive. And I looked it up. You're ready to get tickets in. Yeah. I checked it out. I did. I looked it up today and I thought, hmm, that's a lot of people I used to know. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're getting it done. And uh, an interesting thing on that, I try to get the uh, Maggie the Mayfield cow which was our senior prank. Uh, someone stole the cow, even though I had it ordered. Um, and they put it in front of school, last day of school. Well, I called Mayfield again to ask them to order. And they said, well, Maggie's not available. <laughs> mm, wow. I was going to park it in the, in the, in the uh, parking lot of the reunion. That would have been funny. <laughs> well, um, um, do, I have, do I have your email? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think. I, well, no, I didn't. I don't think. Well, there's the, there's the one through the big blue, and I'll have that at the end of this podcast. It's it's uh, FHS Big Blue 1982 at Gmail. 
that's a good way to contact me and for everybody else uh, listening in. Um, I just, uh, yeah, email me, email, email me. Um, yeah, your, I got yours. I'll send you an email. Because uh, uh, I'm going to send you the link for this Salem now. Uh, okay, cool. I got, yeah, got the link. <laughs> and so I think it's okay if if people want to go there. Um because okay. they can they can uh, rent it at six ninety nine and purchase it twelve ninety nine. Might as Good. well go yeah, ahead. Yeah, we'll get some advanced uh, notice out there and get a few people uh, to to you do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this this will be one of them, and then it'll wherever you know the, wherever it goes. I'm not sure because um, it's on their platform, so that's a good thing. So it's not necessarily it's not going to hurt us with you know an iTunes or anything like that. So, but okay, cool. All right, we'll go. I'm gonna re-edit that other part I talked about taking out. I'll just leave it in, let it run. <laughs> um, it's pretty amazing when you have an interview so long the business gets done in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, All right, well, Jeff, I, I really appreciate you. I always ask everyone at the end, what is your motto in life? But I think this entire interview has been one long motto of how you feel about life. But go ahead, tell us concisely, what do you think? What's your statement, your mission statement now, what you've gone through all these years? What would you leave us with as your uh, bumper sticker t-shirt statement for life? It's what I, a lot of times I'll put on my email is just keep the faith and live it out. No, oh, that's good. Well, thanks again, Jeff, and you have a wonderful rest of the day, and we'll talk again Thank soon. Thanks for the link. I'll get this out there for everybody. Thanks, bro. I appreciate it. All right. We'll see you. Thanks, bro. See you, buddy. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today to the Big Blue Podcast for Farragut High School. If you're interested in becoming an interviewee, please send correspondence to the following email address, also listed in the show notes. Send all correspondence to FHSBigBlue1982 at gmail.com. Again, that's FHSBigBlue1982 at gmail.com. Thanks again to our interviewee today, Jeff Joslin of the class of 1980. Appreciate his time for this marathon interview we've done. Tune in next time. We're going to pick back up with Doug Floyd's story, part two, and hear the rest of his story. Um, And here's a couple of excerpts from next time with Doug. There are about 15 people buzzing around his room, and he has had a massive hematoma. So all of his blood has pooled in his stomach. So the blood thinner somehow, we think, caused that to happen. And so they had to rush him back to ICU. And I followed them down there. And, of course, they had me to leave again. But I had to sign some paperwork for them to do an emergency procedure for him. So, Isaac, take it away. What's your story? (laughs) Hey, Vic. Thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, so Doug and Kelly, you know, one thing I was thinking about when you invited me on was um, I think I've experienced something that you experienced and that when we became friends with Doug, we automatically became friends with his whole family. We gather around this situation and certainly love you for your sacrifice and your giving a part of your body now brings you down to one kidney. So let me ask you this. How have you been doing with your one kidney since the operation? Yeah, good, good. You know, that's the amazing thing is um, we're all, uh, well, most of us, not everybody. Some people are born with just one kidney or no kidneys, but for the majority, uh, most people are born with two kidneys.
interview here. Uh, this is Fran Floyd in her house next to her 1976 telephone on the wall. <laughs> We're going to talk to Fran. Fran, tell me, what is your take on this whole COVID thing and Doug's kidney thing and what your son has been now, up to? Now, on the absolute truth, what, yeah. I've never had a shot. You've never had a shot? No. During the whole COVID thing, you've never had one shot? No. Wow. Are you healthy? I, I, I'm healthy. I... I talked to the Lord about it, and I said, I trust you to take care of me. Well, it looks like it's working. He said, it's more important for us to win souls for Jesus Christ than it is to win football games. This generation, coaches are the missionaries. He was a warrior. That's what he was. He inspired me. Uh, he, he gave me that role model of how to coach. I'm watching all these guys who were my heroes on the football playing field cry and talk about Jesus. It, it's amazing where God will step in to do his will. And he's using a game called football to change people's lives. There are thousands and thousands of guys all across the world, just like me, who are directly impacted by Ken Sparks. The light shines in the darkness, and it's Christ in us, and he is what Ken would tell you made all the difference. Sparks, the Ken Sparks story, SalemNow.com. Now available for streaming, buy or rent, SalemNow.com.